0: All right, and we're back uh, to talking as a free action, the D and D podcast that sporadically releases and occasionally uploads to YouTube. I am your host uh, Owen here today with my esteemed co-host Marvin. What up? And with a uh, eh, an okay guest, uh, we have our, our good friend King Flink here today.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great interest. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, uh, we have a pretty fun show lined up today um, uh, Dylan here is uh, a good friend of ours for many, many years uh, uh, Someone who's actually DM'd for me a number of times And uh, while we do have some differing styles Which I'm sure will come up uh, at some point during the conversation I, I think that um, I think it'll be pretty fun today
1: I thought we DM'd exactly the same
0: Maybe that's the problem?
2: No, no, that's not it
1: you don't throw all your players into death traps and just hope they all die and then get surprised when they don't.
0: I kind of did that once. It was pretty fun. Like, I definitely get the appeal now more so than I did a few years
1: ago. It's so fun, and you're pleasantly surprised when they survive and a little crowd.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's consistent. Yeah,
0: Um. but the, the bulk of the topic for today was actually going to be something that I think that... um. Dylan, you do very well, which is building up good, big, bad, evil guys and kind of weaving those into your story. Um, so that was going to be kind of the primary topic um, with the multitude of, of tangents that I'm sure will emerge from that.
1: Aw, oh, thanks, guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do make some good villains.
0: I mean, look, when I open with an insult, I do have to, like, kind of pat it with, like, something decent at the end. Kind of like a stuffed crust one might say.
1: I make I make some great villains and not and some not so uh great settings. <laughs> oh,
2: well, yeah. Your settings are pretty good. At least the ones I've played in.
1: You have missed half the games I've done.
2: Well, then I yeah, guess That's true.
0: I mean, a 50% hit rate is still pretty good.
1: You're right.
2: So. For a DM, it's a really good hit rate
0: yeah um so yeah let's uh, go ahead and just start off um you know kind of on that on that note um what do you guys think makes like a good memorable big bad evil guy and I guess why should you even bother to do that in a d and d story because certainly you don't have to have one
2: uh... impact impact on the players I think is a really big thing for making a good villain um. Because if he doesn't change anything for them they're probably not going to remember him or her or they
0: or it uh, i suppose if it's not if it's a creature or it yeah
1: i think that it's not just impact it's i guess appeal because you know you could have a very impactful character but if it's like just a plain bred uh npc that has no distinguishing uh features or motives no one's really going to care you know you have a guy that kills half the party in his first appearance but then like it's just some random dude some people might like that for the irony but overall that's just not going to go over well
0: yeah i mean i think that for me at least when it comes to big bad evil guys i think it's important two things you need to hit on are like make sure that they're a credible threat. so you need to establish that in some way um, that's very obvious to the players. And you need to make sure they have some personal stakes in the in the matter because if you don't hit both of those two marks, either one, they won't think he's a credible they won't think that they're a credible threat and thus ignore them or they won't feel like they have any skin in the game and ignore them. So I think that if you need your big bad evil guy to actually, you know kind of be a uh, significant element of the plot, those are things that you need to kind of touch
1: on pretty early. I mean, credible threat's kind of uh, subjective, I suppose. Like, one of my favorite NPCs that ended up being an important bad guy, anyone could have killed him in a straight fight. But he ended up killing uh, Flux, like, twice, I think.
0: Well, I think that credible threat, it doesn't just extend to their combat prowess. Like, I I have a similar NPC um, chance that I utilized in my my personal uh, 5e campaign that I run. And he, I think he has like five HP or something, or had five HP at one point. He is not a like a significant physical threat, but he wields a lot of political power within the setting, and thus, even though you know he could be one shot, the ramifications for doing that are such that he you know still poses a credible threat because of the the possible contingency that may be in place um, should he you know meet an untimely end. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't wield
2: a whole lot of political power anymore.
0: Well, no. Um, That's because the actual big bad evil guy literally destroyed the world, so... Um...
1: <laughs> so yes, you... there's always a bigger fish, right? <laughs> yeah. always it's... a bigger fish. Uh, wow.
0: What is that from? Darth and droids, uh, summon greater fish or
1: yeah. something?
2: Summon greater yeah.
1: fish. I mean, look, uh, as eventually you're going to run out of bigger fishes, and you're just going to find the biggest one.
2: When I run out of bigger fish, I just end the campaign
1: when i see that coming i usually end it I'm like, oh my god i better call better call it quits here before they realize i ran out of ideas
0: i <laughs> know i think that like if you ever get to a point late in the campaign where your players have kind of become gods effectively um you could always just try and run it like a superman story where you start to target the characters that are actually at vulnerable in their social
1: circle um
0: you know or try to have those kind of stories instead but
1: be percent real with you, the reason I did Vain City Generations was because in Vain City everyone hit elite. I'm like there's no there's no up from here. This this is up. This is the pinnacle of the Mountain.
0: Yeah, like what are you gonna do? Have have Galactus Light show up? Like, come on.
1: I tried. You need at that point. I think they killed him like three sessions before the end of Vain City too. That's rough, buddy. I'm like, whoa. I played all my cards. I'm like, well, let's just start over from the beginning. Everyone's at zero zero experience.
0: I think that's good, though, because it lets you kind of have a nice send-off at the end for, you know... You have your climactic finish, and then from there you get to actually um, kind of have that sunset show, I guess. uh, Mm -hmm. For lack of a better way to paint it. So when it comes... Go ahead, man.
2: Oh, no. No, I was just groaning. Go ahead. (laughs)
0: Um so what are some of the like classic tricks or tropes that you guys t- well shit we kind of jumped ahead of ourselves what the heck is a big bad evil guy
2: Well I guess I'll take this uh the big bad evil guy is uh generally the the villain waiting at the end of a story or story arc or even just a long dungeon or a long segment of a campaign it's uh, it's what the the players are generally fighting towards, and usually they know who it is, or where they are, or something like that, and uh, they know they have to beat them. So,
0: kind of like the primary antagonist of your story.
2: Yeah, basically.
1: Mm, not always, because you could have multiple primary antagonists, like well, the that big would just be bad evil bad
2: primary antagonist changing.
1: Yeah, because like for the bit for uh generations one, no, it was generations two. We had like four different main antagonists, but Jimmy was always meant to be the big bad evil guy. He didn't appear until like two thirds of the way through.
0: Um, so I guess that was a situation where you had an actual player character as your as your antagonist or a a person playing your antagonist um in your stead.
1: Um, I had, he made a character, we had discussed it early on, I think his character actually appeared in like some of the, uh, early storyline stuff for the first generation's game,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: um, and we discussed that, uh, his character would appear, and until he revealed that, you know, he was the evil guy, I would run his character with dialogue cues from him. He'd say, all right, I want to do this, this, and this. And at some point, he's going to give him this information, leave him here. I'm like, cool. And then eventually, Alan ended up freeing him. And that's when Jimmy actually stepped in and took control fully.
0: That's interesting. So I'm curious, what, what prompted you to kind of, you know, tap a friend for that, that kind of role rather than just, you know, trying to fill it yourself?
1: Well, I mean, you guys had played with Jimmy in the past. You understand that he can play evil if he wants to. You know, he's also GM'd a couple of times for you guys to fill in for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I always liked him as an antagonist because when I, when I was a player, you know, when Soccer Wars, it was always a PvP experience for me. He mm-hmm. was the, my foil, so I figured, you know, I think Jimmy could actually play a very good enemy. So let's see what let's see what he can do. So he's like, yeah, you know uh i wanted to be grandos i want him to monologue i wanted to quote the bible and stuff i'm like oh so you're just making a superpower version of yourself <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he he's like yeah so this is what we want to do he's like i want to make an impact we're going to go after this person and we're going to make them my uh, unwitting servant and we're going to see where we go so I think, like, t- four, I think I brought him in as uh, Marvin, when did you join Generations 2? Because I know he, ab- re- he appeared at the same time as you. He was a traveler.
2: Uh, I don't even remember when I joined.
1: I think you joined, like, four or five, four, four or five um, sessions in. But they did, like, this giant jailbreak on his planet and they freed, like, marvin and a couple other people in this do called the traveler and the traveler that just appealed to them because he had information on how to leave and they're like well this guy knows what we're doing so let's follow him you know they got out originally i think there was some people saying maybe not trust the guy we just met but he didn't betray them so they're like idiots right away. <laughs> trusted the guy they just met
2: i, I definitely. Mean, i was also a guy they had just met so you know I've definitely leaned
0: into that a little and, bit, the, the player's kind of willingness to trust NPCs.
2: Um, oh, I do that all the
1: time. Yeah. Well, I was trying—I was kind of playing into it, but then it got really apparent really quick when, you know, we were they were universe hopping and this guy just had a lot of information about the universes, which was played off because his power, which I had made public, was that he was just omniscient. Which means no matter where he was, he just knew everything. That's and <laughs> when they reached uh v- when they reached VC Vice and did that, you know, whole mind swipe with that version's uh that universe um soul, uh I had to take him out of it. I'm like, this guy I can't have him here because he will know something's up and you know, just tip everyone off. So from a storyline perspective, it made sense to put him away. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then, you know, Alan was Alan in Freedom.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. I I think that, because I think I played like the first like half a session or whatever of that campaign of uh, Generations or whatever.
1: Um, Of Generations 1, yeah.
0: So I, I think that, you know, when it comes to kind of introducing a big bad you know, for your story, I think that those first few moments are really important for kind of setting the tone of who the character is. And I think that it's really easy to, not to mess it up, but I think that, you know, kind of having an idea on what sort of character you want your evil guy to be does help. Um, How do you guys feel about making sure the characters have, like, relatable motivations? Like, is that something that factors in when you guys make a big bad? Like, what's your process for, I guess, creating one for the story?
2: Um, well, for me, it's just, I kind of just slot in a villain that I think is going to actually mess with the players. Because I don't do a lot of messing with the players in most campaigns. Mm. I kind of just leave them to their own devices and see what happens. Um, so every time I use a villain, it's to throw a monkey wrench into whatever plans they thought they had. Um... But I also usually don't plan out my villains way in advance, so they're kinda all last minute for me.
1: I don't like relatable villains. I'm very much of the mindset that the villain that you fight should be someone that you wholly disagree with on a just on a core level, because otherwise you risk the chance of a player finding that villain sympathetic and wanting to join their cause.
0: I think that's an important risk to run, though, because I think that like one thing that you can o- that you have the opportunity to do with the big bad is you can pick, you can pick aspects of the player characters and try to create a big bad that's a bit of a foil to them. You know, in a similar way that you might say like, oh, this character is similar to yours, but their circumstance was different, and thus you have different ideologies. Um, so they can be sympathetic, but ultimately their their goals or their methods or something about them may be to the antithesis of what your your player characters. You know, represent. You know, unless they're going to do a a face heel turn.
1: I I don't like risking the face heal turn. You've seen the players GM for. I don't want to run that risk. Yeah. <laughs> it's too likely.
0: It is probably DM uh, DM dependent. I would say, <laughs> like group dependent. But, um. So hopefully it's something that you can kind of uh, scout for.
1: The way I the way I figure it out over the course of my time running for you guys is that. For you guys specifically, hatred's a more strong emotion than uh, sympathy. So if I give you guys, you guys wholly just hate, and can invoke that type of uh, emotion, you guys will remember that guy more fondly, or you'll just remember him better. Like all I gotta do is Marvin, is just list off one character's name, and Marvin gets triggered. Just say nightmare.
2: It's, it's true. I was literally just talking to you about him yesterday. <laughs>
0: So, memorable baddie, you'd say?
1: He uh, killed Cypher's parents.
0: Yeah. Was that like in a backstory thing, or was that like a no. during the game?
1: Oh, it happened during, during the game. game. His introduction was he killed Cypher's parents, and they had to go hunt him down.
2: It was great. Definitely a... um. And every time I try to
1: introduce him since, I, just, I pull off the gas because I'm like, I need to introduce this guy at the right moment. I can't waste him on just like some Villain of the Week type thing. Because he was originally brought in as a Villain of the Week. But because of who Cypher was and what he did to Cypher, everyone just hated him right away. Except for Lutai, because Lutai is too dumb to realize that.
0: <laughs> Man, look at that shit. Marvin,
1: remembers that. Lutai almost blew Cypher's cover.
2: He... Every time. I hate him so much as a player.
0: That's an amazing shape.
2: i a person, but I hate him so much as a player.
0: I think we've all had that player character at the table who's like just either not paying attention enough or just a little bit too chaotic for the rest of the group.
1: Um yeah. or just no, you've played with Luthias. He doesn't fit into either one of those. He's just an idiot.
0: I I'm, I'm being generous cuz I'm I'm trying not to, to I'm trying not to have that that negativity out there in the universe. Um <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, let's not forget you were there for Ice Rapist. I, I was there for a lot of things. Um. us <laughs> not
2: talk about that one.
1: Yeah, let's not. I need to forget that was the literal first session of Van City. Uh...
2: I don't miss that character.
1: I miss him sometimes.
2: So, would you
0: guys The character, not the player. <laughs> so, so, would you guys say that an important component of a big bad for your story is that they're an active character
2: uh yeah i would say so Um,
1: absolutely not
2: i i like it when they they even in the background are making moves against the players
1: i like to take the brock lesnar approach with big bats they only appear when it's important
0: but does the Big Bad do things in the background? Like, or are they only reacting to the things that the players do?
1: He does things in the... Oh, it depends on which Big Bad. I mean, Armageddon only showed up at the very end. Um, some of them I played... Like, the one I was setting up for Palace, which was my 5e game last year, was, um... That Those ones were supposed to appear 10 sessions in, but the game ended 8 sessions in. Um... And they were supposed to be obvious, like, these. Are, this is the guys that you're going to have to fight throughout the campaign. It depends on, like, character to character. Some of them work with showing up and, you know, being that. Uh, I guess the best example would be being, like, Blue from Pokemon Red and Blue. Or red, red and Green, where, you know, he's the guy that just beats you there first. You know, you're always playing catch-up to stop them.
0: I wouldn't really say that you know, Blue is the snowballs. big bad in that game, though.
1: He's the rival, though.
0: But I think that's a different role. Like, I would say that if I had to pick a, a big bad out of the original Pokemon games, it's, pr- like, the closest thing you could get is maybe Giovanni. Um, At least that's kind of what I think they're trying to go for, whether they effectively accomplish that within the narrative of the game is maybe questionable. But I think that that's who it's supposed to
1: be in principle, at least. It just never felt like Giovanni was the actual threat, though, because Blue was always, pr- pr- you know, given to you as this is your superior.
0: Yeah, but I gotta say, I did not feel that way when that Rhyhorn was thrashing my team. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, he felt
0: he felt real run, credible <laughs>
1: as I was as I was running back run to the some, Pokemon Center. <laughs> run, run some water types. You'll be fine. <laughs>
2: um, see. I see Giovanni more as the the big, bad, evil guy, but he doesn't, like, like, narratively I see him that way, but he doesn't feel that way when you're playing the game.
1: Yeah, when you're playing, it feels like the biggest threat to you is blue.
2: Yeah, like, I know that Giovanni is the bad guy, and he's supposed to be the big, bad, evil guy. But I never cared. Not once.
0: Uh, should fits in my chat says, almost casual new Thanos, now it's a verb. The way Marvel handled Thanos was a pretty good big bad. Yeah. Yeah, that that
2: was a good one.
0: Um, yeah, I think that Thanos was fairly well done. Even if Thanos' like, motivations, I think were fairly understandable, if you know, not necessarily logical. Um, you know, they, they did their best to try and, you know, paint him as someone who was clearly unhinged, but, you know, was still a character who, like, you know, thought and felt and, you know, had emotions and thoughts and stuff.
1: Uh, I felt a lot of emotions in that endgame fight. Like, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of rage and anger.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, The next thing that uh, Shinfit says here is the opposite of Final Fantasy IX's Necron. I would actually argue that Necron, while he is the final boss of that game, is not the actual big bad. Because I think a key component of being a big bad is that I think that you need to be somewhere in the narrative at some point. Um, I don't think that your big bad is very effective if, you know, he's just revealed to be the big bad, you know, at the very end. Like, in Star Wars, right? Like, it, the Emperor is basically like a non-character up until the very end of episode uh, 6, if I recall correctly.
1: Um There not even think- yeah, but he doesn't actually appear fully until episode six in the first place.
0: So, like, would you say that, like, narratively, of course, Palpatine is the is the like big bad of Star Wars or whatever. But I would say that it almost feels like Vader is the like, you know, from the actual movies themselves, feels more like the big bad, even though he technically reports to to
1: Palpatine. Uh, in episode four, it's actually uh, Tarkin's the big bad.
2: Nobody cares
1: about Tarkin. I care about Tarkin.
2: Didn't that guy get choked out by
0: Vader?
1: No, that's the other one. Tarkin's the one that told him to release him. Oh, okay. So he was
0: the he was the one who was about to be choked out by Vader before he changed his mind.
1: No, Tarkin was the one that was in charge of the Death Star. <laughs> he uh, outranked Vader at that point. Which, given what we know from Episode 3, is kind of weird.
2: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make any sense.
1: But you know what? Look. Well, there was no episodes one through three or five and six when that first one came out. I don't yeah. care what he says.
2: Yeah. I also it do want to <laughs> It wasn't even a, a thought to him at that point.
0: I, I would also say that um that much like D D, the narrative doesn't necessarily have to be cohesive. <laughs> so you know what you can get away with it.
1: Um That's what I like about my extended universe. It all made sense. Uh, don't even.
0: No, I think I I think I got this. He was he was doing the air quotes thing, but you can't see it because he's on he's on audio only.
2: <laughs> uh, KGB has redeemed hydrate and posture check, and Shin Fitz is now in my chat saying Tarkin was a boss, and <laughs> the prequels made no sense. I
0: don't think it's an argument that the prequels were bad. Two remade the,
1: them made sense. One didn't.
0: <laughs> I, I would say the the greatest contribution to Star Wars that the prequels gave us was. Miniforians. No, what? No. I will fight you. <laughs> you're clearly doing this to trigger us. Um, Absolutely. No, I, I think the soundtrack is probably the greatest contribution that that the prequels actually had to the to the overall
2: Star Wars universe
0: more than anything else. Uh,
1: dual face a thing of beauty
2: yeah that was that was a real good soundtrack
0: but like i think that's basically the high point for all
2: three of the films
1: no uh the fight on mustafar
0: but like i mean it was visually impressive i guess it just didn't make a whole lot of sense
1: what are you talking about they fought they fought on lava proof droids over a river of lava i mean a cool setting But like that's a great set piece right there.
0: No, it's a good set piece. It's a good set piece. I guess what I'm saying is that like I feel like a lot of the the plot of episode three was a lot of contrivances that could have been resolved had anybody talked to anybody at any point in time. Overproduced nonsense is is what he says. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
1: Um, take that nonsense right back.
0: The fight in Return of the Jedi is way better. I mean, like, I get it. Like, I get where he's coming from. There's a lot of, like, you know, waving your, you know, the light blade around and not really doing a whole lot. Um, so, I mean, it, it has its ups and downs, I would say. I mean, if lightsaber gymnastics is your thing, then I think it's really cool to watch. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed
3: it.
1: I,
0: <laughs> I mean, it's currently my thing, too. Like, I do enjoy it, but I definitely understand the, the criticism that, like, the more and more you watch it, the further and further away it gets from an actual, like, understandable martial art in any capacity also uh, really gungans you think gungans are the greatest contribution i played a gungan for years and i don't even agree with that who
2: said that
1: i never understood did you like play that did you play them out of irony or did you play them because you actually like gungans
0: <laughs> I, I do actually somewhat like gungans just not specifically jar jar binks like, I really like Tarples. I think he's probably one of my favorite characters from the Clone Wars. Um, um
2: But. This man for real said Gunkins were the greatest contributions from the prequels. <laughs> I don't understand.
0: Well, he's clearly doing that just to, to to grind my
1: gears. I mean, bringing up the whole Star Wars thing, it does bring up a good point. Is that most big bats need a. Equally threatening, uh, lieutenant.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a strong second in command definitely goes a long way in making a villain even better. Yeah.
1: Especially if you don't plan on having the guy physically around all the time, you need someone there to be the muscle.
0: I think that kind of depends on what sort of role they take in, in as an actual antagonist. Like, I don't think it's strictly necessary. Like, for instance, in my campaign, uh, I have uh, Charles as the the main antagonist of the party, and he was introduced initially as, you know, kind of a, like, kind of shady benefactor who was apparently cool with just killing people out of sheer annoyance. And, you know, through the party's relationship with him, he manipulated the party into, into starting a civil war, you know, for his own devices. And from that point on, they really kind of realized, like, oh, wait, this guy's actually just been fucking with us, hasn't he? And he doesn't really have a second in command so much as when he does show up, he is threatening to the point where the players don't really try to engage right away. Um up until eventually he made good on his threat and destroyed the world because the players decided to I don't know, twiddle their thumbs or something. Um still not entirely clear. Sound a little
1: faulty there. Uh
2: well at some point I'm pretty sure the rest of the party like just sat around drinking each other off. <laughs> I'm
0: not salty because it was largely disappointed that his
1: players didn't save the world <laughs> uh,
0: to be clear like I'm not actually disappointed this is largely like kind of what I was intending to happen anyways because I realized the kind of players that I had that there's no way that they would be able to ignore some of the sticks I was some of the carrots I was hanging in front of them um, so this was largely an intended consequence um, but I, I do think that as a player group it did serve as a wake-up call that The world is not going to be is not going to wait to be saved, Um, and I think has served for a fun motivation for the second half of the campaign um, that we're currently in.
1: Well, I'm just.
2: I'm salty. I think we should have saved that world, and it's entirely their fault for not doing it.
0: While that is true, I don't think by the time that your character was introduced, that they had a realistic path to do that.
2: No, no, they didn't. But that's the
1: die point. trying die trying
2: <laughs> we could have died with that world well you guys have a, have Death a means for to... dishonor well my so
0: this is like peeking behind the screens but had you guys actually a- attempted to make it to the final fight and made it on time um more than likely you guys would have had to have done an emergency you know planeswalk anyways because you guys do have the uh, planet travel device so I was anticipating that, you know, the world was probably going to come to an end anyways because I don't think you would have made it in time to stop them outright. So I was definitely planning for a contingency where the world is beginning to be destroyed as that fight is going on. You guys have to, like, emergency escape in order to get away from it in time. Um, similar result, but just a different way to get there. Uh, that's fair. So... But, but case in point is that he doesn't have a lieutenant really that he's working through. Um, so much as a lot of the NPC interactions have been kind of coming across the collateral damage that his character has caused throughout the multiverse as they've kind of picked up the
1: pieces. I mean not all big bads need a lieutenant to be effective, but like a lot of them could use it. Like it makes it, it helps with having a weaker big bad, like not for say, power wise but like having him be weaker and sense that his characterization might not be great or you know his motives might not be totally amazing or logic. having someone that can i mean yeah but having someone that can you know take some of the attention off of him take some of that weight of being like all right well i'll do this and you know set me up for any reason like hell just say they're the big bet. You know, their motivation is just they're doing as they're following orders, you know, just go with the Nazi uh, justification.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely yeah. I see where, where you're coming from in that. I think that um, I think that like there's definitely benefits to having a second-in-command because I think that it leads to a very natural um, kind of midpoint climax. Nice
1: still work we just, yay! We saved everyone. We beat the bad guy. Nope, that's the bad guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely could be a, a bit of a pump fake, right? Um, it's like, um, oh, it's like what's his name from the Dungeons and Dragons movie from two thousand? The one guy who was like cursed by Which the one? big one. There was like, oh It was the guy who was like cursed by the big bad or whatever, and was doing the dirty work. Um, I think he killed snails in that movie.
2: I, I don't. know. You're probably better for it.
1: <laughs> I remember oh, parts no, of it. Definitely. I remember parts of it. Wasn't very good. Just watched it because it had the words Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think the, the greatest the, the greatest evil that it did oh. is is that it it's the only Hollywood um Hollywood uh film that uh, Tom Baker ever was in.
2: Oh that's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first and last time. He's like, I did this once, and you know what? Never again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh. Oh, That's awful.
0: Man, this cast is crazy. Anyways, um, <laughs> we're getting a bit off topic. Um... So I, I think that, you know, certainly a, a strong lieutenant can can go a really long way towards giving your characters kind of a, either as a pump fake, as like a, you know, oh, you thought this was bad, but, you know, here's the real bad guy, but also um, but also you can use it as kind of like, okay, well, this is like step one to beat the big bad. We have to beat this guy before we, we can move on.
1: Let me, let me clarify. It's very really important. I'm just now realizing what I did or did previously in one of my games. It's really important that the lieutenant, or second-in-command, does not outshine the big bad, because then you've messed up irreplicably. <laughs> There's no going back from that. Like Vader? No, because Palpatine was still the bigger threat. He freaking jobbed out Vader. Immediately.
0: I still think Palpatine... Vader was a bigger character.
2: Palpatine also wasn't in that first movie, so like... Vader was always
0: going to have the advantage there. Yeah, but I think that you could still like reset up Palpatine as like a more impressive or credible threat. I think my issue, like he shows up and he and he floors Vader like right away, and like that does a really good job of quickly communicating that this guy is no joke. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously Vader was taking orders from him, so you know that that alone kind of indicates you know that there's a power differential there. But but I think yeah, that but
1: that was that was lazy writing because you basically had effective
0: writing. Like I would say that like given the screen time that they were able to give him, like obviously this is working from a place of like, you know, before they finish the script. But I think if your goal is to like quickly set up a big bad as like someone bigger than Vader, I think having them like beat up Vader, right. You know, right during the initial introduction is a really good way to kind of clarify who is the bigger threat. And I think that you could do something similar in, in a and d setting where you could have your big bad, you know, easily be maybe an established powerful character or, you know, monster in the setting already.
1: Yes, but in that specific case, you had Vader lose all his heat to Palpatine by Palpatine beating him. And Luke doesn't even get that heat because he didn't beat Palpatine. Vader did. So in the end, your protagonist Vader's got nothing hero. from that. Yeah, your protagonist gained nothing from that interaction. They should have had Luke beat beat Vader or Palpatine. Not just have Palpatine beat Vader and then Vader beat Palpatine in return.
0: Yeah, it makes Luke feel like a bit of a spectator during that whole thing. Yeah. Which is a good thing to touch on. Don't make your players spectators too often. (laughs) It doesn't help the players feel like they have agency. Uh...
1: Yeah. And don't let one player overshadow every other player, and cause a huge steam, like Roberto did. uh, (laughs) Like Roberto did.
2: Make happen. It's uh, it's hard to balance players' uh, play styles and and how much spotlight they get.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to kind of understanding your players themselves and understanding what gets them animated. Because the thing is, is that, like, if you're running a campaign that's, like, heavy intrigue, for instance, some players are going to be really into that, and their characters may be very geared towards that kind of gameplay. But you may have the guy who, like, I statted my, you know, fourth level fighter, and I have, like, a nine in charisma, and honestly, I just want to play a combat game. So I think understanding what, like, animates those characters is really, really helpful. And obviously you can have a character involved in subterfuge and have really poor charisma, and stuff. It's not a requirement, but I think understanding what sort of gameplay plays into the your player character's strengths and what that character, what the player rather wants to do, is really helpful for avoiding those sorts of situations because it gives you the ability to kind of change the focus on what the story is looking at.
2: How?
1: I mean, yeah. I've also ran a game that was basically like that. Uh, we did the. Game of Thrones system from White I think it was White Wolf that was the one that made it. Green running. And uh oh yeah, free run. Green running, green running. And um we had one player who was completely uh diplomacy based. She was a liability in combat. And then we had everyone else which were combat based characters. So in order to give her that one moment where, you know, every few sessions where she had her chance to do her stuff. That did mean the other players were just there as spectators, but in return, you know, she did end up during fights literally just sitting out the entire situation, which you guys know how fights can go. That could end up being the entire session of her just having to sit there and watch.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that as a player, you need to be okay in some respect to like being the spectator um, for other players' like big moments.
1: She was she, uh, she had that system allowed you to make a, a second character if you took a certain thing. Mm. So she had her bodyguard and to her credit, she never let the bodyguard steal the spotlight during fights. She knew that wasn't her place.
2: <clears throat> which yeah, I think she is was, really which she was generally That's saying a lot. About, uh, combat income. Yeah.
1: That's that's saying a lot given how bad her attitude was during the other games. <laughs>
2: Um,
0: no, I think that, like, it's tough to balance out, you know, because sometimes you'll end up in a situation where you have players who, like, you'll have certain players who are just very naturally charismatic and tend to to dominate the conversation. You know, speaking as a DM who has a group that is like this, where there are definitely some players who are much more proactive, I guess, in, in seeking out things to do versus other players who, you know, will literally just not say a word for, you know, 45 minutes if it's not directly asked of them. I'm not sorry. Um. So I think that it just comes down to like kind I've of never
1: had always taking Marvin talk.
0: Not Marvin, no. Um. You know Marvin tends to play active characters who want to be involved in the conversation. Um. I, I can't think of very many characters you've played that were you know like stoic or not didn't talk very much. Fake eyes even even fake isaac talked a lot
2: like i talked to him all the time
1: he talked a lot when he was isaac not when he was fake isaac
2: but i was only fake isaac i never got got not fake isaac
1: i thought that we did
2: no he was on a whole other planet that we never touched
1: all right yeah that's right that was the entire point of that game was to reach that planet
2: it was the joke it was the punchline
0: But I think that like part of the no, unwritten No, before you got
1: the before you got the disarmament thing. You talked a lot more.
0: That's true. Yeah, a bit. Um So, I guess what I what I mean is that like part of the unwritten rule I think of D&D it, that like makes the game a lot more enjoyable is as a player being actively excited about the other characters in your party's like plot arcs and stuff. So, like, if I'm sitting during, like, a D&D game where I'm playing my necromancer and, you know, it's a scene that's focused on the cleric as he, you know, tells his rousing speech, like, I'm just as excited to watch him do that, you know, as I would be to, you know, be able to, like, dig up a bunch of bodies and raise a bunch of zombies. So I think, like, part of just good player etiquette is, you know, kind of boils down to, you know, not really pissing and moaning and just kind of accepting that, you know, the spotlight may be on other characters at this moment, But it's with the kind of agreement and understanding with the dungeon master that eventually that spotlight will come back to me. And, you know, in the meantime, I should try and, you know, be okay being the butt of the joke a little bit if that, you know, or be okay watching other players kind of make mistakes if it's in an effort to, you know, make the story more interesting.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that, that has a lot to do with just figuring out a good balance within your group of which players can play together. You might have two people that are really good friends in real life, but at the table they just don't get along.
2: That's true. I, I have experienced a lot of that, where two players just cannot roleplay together. What, just like their
0: play style is just too different?
1: Yeah. Um. No, it's too similar, actually, because if you have two people that want the spotlight and demand it, they get upset when the other one has it. They don't know how to share.
0: But I think that just circles back to what I was saying, is that, like, you need as a DM, I think you need to, to kind of make sure everybody understands that, like, the spotlight isn't fixed and that it's going to shift from person to person.
1: Yeah, but the players also need to, like, understand that, too. You need to have the good... It comes down to you need to be able to, like, sit the players down and be like, look, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You might not always be the star. You know, sometimes you're going to have to let, you know, the supporting cast get your screen time. But it does come back you know sometimes players are cool with it other times you know they can co-opt an entire scene be like oh yeah this person's clearly important when we're in his hometown he's talking to his parents and this other player will be like well i want to speed out me too be like time and place bro just be quiet yeah
0: they like hijack the scene or whatever they're like okay well while he's doing that i want to go to town and go and and start these things and it's like okay you can do those things but we need to finish this scene first because this is going to take
1: precedent yeah yeah you don't want you uh, don't want players um stealing s- screen time i guess you know, what's the best funny is that
0: it? like playing sagas because like you know for the people who are listening like we played sagas for what like four years or something almost
1: Rough, roughly four years yeah. yeah
0: and during that time i played largely just a single you know gungan for almost the entirety of it and for a huge swath of that campaign i felt like a side character Like, and there were a lot of scenes where I was just the side character, but like, I don't know if it's just like the system or the fact that like Star Wars kind of is predicated on the idea that there are these like sideline characters who are making meta commentary on what's going on, but I actually really enjoyed not having the, like the narrative weight on my shoulders at all times. And it was actually quite nice at times to just kind of sit back and watch the story kind of unfold around me as kind of a spectator to the, to the greater, you know, universes, you know, machinations
1: the uh the burden of uh leadership
0: yeah i mean for lack of a better way to put it i mean i think that like our particular group of player characters still wasn't super defined leadership wise like i know that marvin's character made a lot of leadership decisions and i think i did too at times but but like by and large after
1: jack left it was basically the two of you guys just running around with your heads cut off
3: mm-hmm
0: I don't know if that's like a fair characterization that it was like we had our heads cut off. I think that we were...
1: I mean, there was no real defined, okay, what now? Well, I think... You guys just doing whatever.
0: Well, I think it boils down to not having... Like, the party, in the absence of Jack Quick leaving that party, we didn't have a defined goal for a really long period of time. So I think that kind of leads to it, feeling like we were kind of wandering around, just kind of doing whatever. Um. But I think the minute that we had something more concrete as a goal, we did buckle down and get shit done.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, you guys had, what, you two, Robert was there with uh, Q, mm-hmm. and then Sean, and I want to say Bobby.
0: Yeah, she's popped in for a few a uh, few sessions here and there as well. Um, yeah,
1: so... John popped in as well, I think, for a little bit. I think he popped in towards the end. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he popped in, then he stayed until it just stopped.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because he was Um, my Padawan.
1: Yeah. Oh shit, I was
2: John was a Jedi in that campaign. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't.
0: I'm surprised that you forgot that, because he was literally a whole ass plot thread in the Star Wars campaign that I ran. I know.
1: (laughs) But, um, I think once you guys left Dathomir, there was like, really, what now? So, you guys kind of like floated around. I just threw like basically adventure of the week stuff at you until we could figure out what to do with you guys. Cause I remember testing you guys, like, all right, what do you guys want to do? What do you want to do? Cause the way mm-hmm. I was running you guys' this game is what I was used to doing, which was the players will tell me what they want to do and we'll accomplish it. We'll, you know, roll with the punches. But you guys were like, all right, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, what do you mean? What are you guys going to do? What do you want to do? I mean, <laughs>
2: To be fair, my character didn't really have any more goals that I had come up with after that point. <clears throat> um, so I was kind of hoping somebody else would make a decision.
0: Yeah, and I think that, like for my part at least, I think part of the problem of the party is that all of us had very reactive characters and nobody really had like a driving plot motivation. And I think if anybody in the party at all had just kind of said, you know what, I want to go do this thing, it would have made it a lot easier for you (laughs) and everybody else involved. But I think we had a bunch of characters who were just kind of like acquaintance through circumstance and found ourselves in various situations and were really largely just reacting to the story of other characters um, you know, in the group. So I think that, for my part at least, I think that some of my early criticism of the Sagas campaign, um, of it always feeling like, you know, other characters were coming in and saving the day. I think in some part, is we're somewhat responsible for that. Just because none of us were really active characters trying to be the main character of our own story. A lot of us were playing effectively you know, the C-3PO characters who were around for key events, but not really participating too actively in any of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, until so you got those force powers.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that was fun. Like I thought that was a really fun plot device and not something I expected personally. So it was really cool to, yeah. to see it happen.
1: Um, well I kept trying to I kept trying to inject a player into the group to uh you know give you guys leadership after Jack left. You know, that's why for a little bit you guys played with Jimmy and then you guys played with Dave for a bit. hmm And I know there was someone else that played with you guys for a little bit. I think it was Chase.
0: Yeah I think Chase played his
1: uh, for a bit as well. I I just couldn't get one of them to stick around because they were always busy. So I'm like, all right, well maybe they'll come in here shake things up a little bit give you guys an idea it's like nope <laughs> they left all right well screw it i think towards the end it's like all right i guess we're gonna do the hunt for isaac
0: <laughs> yeah and then we kind of uh just the, the campaign just kind of fell apart at that point i i think that <clears throat> I, I think that a lot of that kind of boils down to like identifying what actually is happening there. Cause I think that like your frustration in that moment is that like, you know, my players don't want to do anything. Like what am I supposed to do? Because you're trying to run a campaign that's really sandbox. And we're basically playing a bunch of characters who are like, we're the classical heroes who are going to go and save the day. Just point us in the direction of a big bad and we'll go and do the thing. So like we were kind of playing characters who are waiting for something to like jump out at us as something that we need to go do. And you were playing, you were DMing a campaign where you were expecting us to go and do things on our own.
1: Mm-hmm. I and mean, I think that's it's a good route it was a good thing that the campaign just you know sputtered out allowed so us to go into Vane City and then onto other things you know that's why early on to Vane City I'm like alright we're gonna establish a big bad so you guys are gonna work towards this cause I'm not doing the sandbox again <laughs> and that's why I think like what we, we brought up Armageddon like five five sessions in
0: uh
2: I don't, it was a bit more than that. But it was more than it,
0: that because the thing more. is, I remember the big guy that we ended up fighting was Excel. Excel, uh, I can't remember his name, but I remember how to type
1: XL, it. You guys fought him at. You fought him, uh, like session three. Three sessions in. Yeah, three sessions in when you guys were at. Uh, and then when we you guys fought, first met with BD.
0: Yeah, and then we fought that other group of metahumans in the Undercity.
1: The, the Zodiac. I yeah. love that fight.
0: That was a really fun fight. And, like, I got to be honest, like, one of my favorite aspects of the the original, like, pass on the Vayne City system that you ran, it was that it was very, um, it was much more of an improv game than it was a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that led to a lot of creativity. Like, it rewarded player-creative create creative application of, like, whatever their power set was. Um, so I think that, like, for that reason, whenever the fights would start, a lot of it, like, there were some stuff that was clearly roles, but, like, a lot of it I feel like it, it really boiled down to just like where you felt the approximate difficulty was and whether you thought it was a cool thing to happen at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, you're rolling on a D100, but you're arbitrarily deciding how successful that, that thing is. Yeah. Um, so I think that like, for me, I really enjoyed a lot of those fights because it felt like I had to, to really kind of think outside the box in order to like try and get an edge. Because a lot of times we were fighting a lot of, npcs that were just outclassing us in a lot of ways and so you know well in the moment that the slog definitely sucked because i definitely wanted to just feel like i was an awesome powerful hero i definitely do appreciate some of the like you know knockdown, drag out brawls that had to happen as a consequence of us struggling to try and overcome whatever the mountain was that we were fighting at the time
1: man i don't remember who you guys fought on that boat i remember that session very vividly including the part where brian Came around the corner where uh Jacob and uh N eighteen were <laughs> Jacob just blasting right in the face and said he was trying to touch me.
0: Oh shit. I do remember that. Didn't Boom try to like take his head off with a bat or something?
1: Yeah, he did. Uh Jacob was coming around a corner into I think the captain's area
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the mm-hmm. bridge with uh N eighteen and Sean and I don't remember what, I think Brian did it on purpose because I remember talking to him. He's like, Yeah, I'm just gonna swing a bat at his head. Are you sure he's like? Yeah, he gave a kid a gun to shoot at me. I'm like, all right, cool.
0: I think from his perspective, he was just playing like as the like. I don't know who's still on the who's hostile, so I'm just going to hit the next person who swings by. And like, even though out of character, he knows that it's going to be someone friendly. Like, it's it's still an interesting thing to happen.
1: Um, oh, because I had that conversation with him in court, private, and he very much knew that was Jacob. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, I'm pretty sure he <laughs> swung. He swung for defenses and missed, and he paid for it dearly.
0: Yeah, didn't Jacob say something like, "Oh, he
1: touched my dick." He tried to touch my dick. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Because you and Marvin came around a corner, it's like, "What the hell?" Yeah, oh. Jacob's not. Jacob's not going to say, "Oh, yeah, I disarmed him and then shot him afterwards." He's going to say, "No, it was just all self-defense." He tried to touch my dick. <laughs> honestly, if he'd gone with the truth, I don't think you guys would have been that upset with him.
0: I mean, honestly, like when you're when you're a superhero, the law is kind of a a vague notion anyways, He's pl- so... He's a police officer. <laughs> I mean, my point stands. When you're a police officer, the law is kind of a vague notion um, that you occasionally utilize to justify your actions, so I think that his, his self-defense would, would probably stand. Probably feared for his but life.
2: But also, we were in the middle of a fight, and, you know, we were... Jacob, Jacob was an ally, regardless of how anybody felt about him. Like... In combat, we were supposed to be working together. Mm -hmm. Because we had the same goals, I wouldn't blame him for turning on somebody who turned on him first. Oh no, I don't blame him for that action at all. I thought it was hilarious. Like, even in character, I would have been like, he swung on you? That's not cool. He could have at least waited until all the bad guys were dead.
1: (laughs) I think that was when you guys were escaping from the asylum.
2: I believe you're
0: correct.
1: Yeah, that was right before you guys met 13. That sounds about right. Which, another character I fully regret ever greenlighting.
2: As you should. That one was a mistake.
1: Oh, that entire power set was a mistake.
0: <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually DM'd a character that I outright regretted
2: allowing to happen. I am a character that I regret allowing to happen.
1: <laughs> I've had a lot of them that I regret greenlighting, but like not nearly to the degree that I regret thirteen his first session was with Exile and he took Exile's power which was game breaking
3: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. and I, I just that was just a downward spiral for me every time he showed up it's like alright well now I have two choices either my counter becomes a joke or I gotta put characters in there that can kill the rest of you just so I can hurt him yeah I think that
0: serves as a really important lesson for like balancing homebrew stuff like, That's why you guys
1: never fought with him before. again <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I,
0: I can't afford for this to happen more than once. Um, I I think that it's as a DM, like you always have to be really careful when you're doing homebrew stuff. And like generally speaking, you can always kind of walk it back a little bit. Um, obviously, like worst case scenario, you can always just talk to the player and be like, "Hey, man, like I fucked up, and I need to kind of rebalance this." Um, and depending on the player, that may or may not go over well. But I think that it's an important dialogue to have. That like, because like I remember that I did introduce um a custom weapon into the Sagas game that I ran with Marvin as a player um, like fairly early on that like I immediately regretted. I homebrewed it and I, I way overshot on what I thought it was going to do. And it basically like trivialized any main, any like bad guy. Um, so what I... Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, so it was a, basically, it was a... Because you're actually familiar with, with fucking Sagas. So um, it was basically a lightning gun where it was a heavy weapon and it had, like, I think 16 shots or something, and each shot did just, like, a shit ton of D8 damage. Um, I forget exactly how much, but it was, like,
2: it I think... Was it was... like fifteen
0: D8. Yeah, it was something dumb, right? But, like, the idea at the time when I made it was, like, okay, well, it has a very, like, specific power source, so, like, he can't just, like, use this. The shots are hard to get. The problem is that, like, 16 shots is a lot of fucking enemies to just outright blast away. Um, so... I gave the weapon a a overcharge switch or whatever, which it was, was basically an overload switch. yeah, it was an overload switch, and basically it was like you know it's an overload. You don't know what it's going to do when you do it, but you know when you do it, it's going to overload the gun. Um, so I put them in a situation where they fought an enemy that there was no way that they were going to be able to like fight this thing safely, and. You know he utilized the the overload switch in that fight, and I you know it it did like double damage I think to it for that one attack, but then the weapon was rendered unusable, um afterwards, and so his character spent some time repairing it because you know why wouldn't you, and his character was was proficient with tech with a uh, tech if I remember right, and I allowed him to repair it, but basically I halved almost all the all the numbers on the on the gun in order to make it a little bit more like in line with what was actually okay so i think i cut it down to like four shots or something and i think i cut the damage in like third
1: or something that's probably for the best because you don't want players having something like that to make it encounter a joke yeah exactly
2: well, for the best 100 percent for the best
0: Oh, yeah, cause it totally would have rendered like the lost battles at the end of the campaign completely a moot if you could just blast them for you know seventy damage in one hit
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, that or it would have had to have actually killed the entire party as opposed to doing a lot of it through story events. Oh, yeah, it was thirty shots. It wasn't even sixteen. What was I thinking?
1: Cause thirty shots is the base for most rifles in Nassaga's uh, edition.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's thats exactly what I was thinking, but I don't know why I was thinking it. This was a really dumb idea.
1: Um, I'm, I'm follow- The weird part is, you're as you're saying logic. it, I was following the logic. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm going to make a character that's going to fight a party, and he's got to do it by himself, I'm going to give him something that he can use to fight the party by himself. And then I'm thinking to myself, but if the players get a hold of that weapon, I'm screwed.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think like part of the impetus was that my pl- the player was a heavy weapons character, and honestly the heavy weapons and songs just kinda suck. Um so like I wanted to give him like an energy weapon that was um Oh Jesus. Uh, the overload didn't double the damage, it added a dice for every shot in the clip that was still remaining.
2: Oh. And
0: okay. when he did it, he had to use a destiny point. <laughs> I'm glad that, that that Bunny remembers this because my memory of it is definitely a lot shotier, which I think me- meant that that shot must have done like f- like 35d8 or something. Some such nonsense. Mm. Um, I, I think I one shot the Rancor is what I ended it up did. doing. Um, it did. <laughs> just Not like outright. The one
2: shot of Rancor. <laughs> <clears throat> that, was, that was the second because he had like the second damage turn I think
1: do over 300. Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> and the first thing that happened was I used lightning, and it did literally nothing. And he was like, nope, we're not doing this one.
0: <laughs> pop the overload, pop the destiny point, make it a crit. Alright. <laughs> Just <laughs> have at it, Hoss. Um, but like I remember that being a specific moment where I was like, I actively introduced an item into the campaign that I was... um. I was very unhappy with the result because it definitely like rendered useless a couple of uh, fights that happened shortly afterwards, and so Yeah.
1: I had a similar thing, doing. but it wasn't necessarily to the same degree. Mm. Um, you know, with Vane City, we had no. You joined afterwards. We brought in this thing called Nemesis System. It's basically a sign up. You could take a Nemesis. I remember it. Basically, just oh, was it in the first one? Uh, yeah, I- it was a background. Yeah, so we had the background for Nemesis. And, Marvin, do you remember who was the Herald of Thunders? Was that Lutai, or was that uh, Alex?
2: Uh, I think that was Alex. So, yeah, that was definitely Alex.
1: I had introduced a weapon into the game. On a nemesis. That, uh... It was a really powerful sword. And... It it wasn't meant to fall into the hands of a player. And I really regret how I ran that fight because it did. Um, <laughs> it fell into the hands of the one player that shouldn't have gotten it. So Sarah, who was running a melee build for the first time, found the quick way of how to destroy Dylan's encounters, which was to unstable speed, which gave her. Towards the end of it, she was getting five turns per round. Five turns. Full
0: turns. Yeah, yeah. I I remember super speed was busted at like elite rank.
1: Yeah, so she was doing that and she just had a melee build, so she had she grabbed the sword off this dead body. She legit like at the start of the campaign was like, If you knew you guys have nemesis, I'm not finding your nemesis for you for you're you're just screwed. I remember saying cool. That means I'm going to give everyone a bad nemesis that takes this fucking background just as a punishment. Screw me for allowing you guys access to something good.
3: <laughs>
1: and <laughs> that was exactly how I presented it to myself, too. I'm like,
0: like,
3: I'm so like
1: I know this is a bad idea. So I'm going to do it. <laughs>
3: and
1: I introduced the Herald of Thunder, like, I want to say midway through darkness, too. Mm. And he was introduced as, you know, the lieutenant for someone that's coming in, the Lord of Thunder himself, who was supposed to be even worse. Mm-hmm. And he was really strong. I partnered up with three other magical nemeses and someone else. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now they're going to fight the team. The team out has maybe two or three extra turns per round than this, guys, but these other guys are stronger. So it should be, should be smooth sailings. And she looks at me, and she's like, well, she messaged me, she's like, that sword that that guy has, can I get the stats real quick? I'm like, you can get the stats if you manage to take it from him. She's like, cool, bet. Challenge accepted dot dot JPEG. First, (laughs) she has first round, or she has first action. She immediately goes over to the dude, does a grapple check to disarm him. (laughs) And the thing with disarm is, if you can do a grapple check and beat them on it, you can take the weapon from them instead of just dropping it. She takes the weapon from him. She's like, all right, what's the stats on it? <laughs> and I tell her the stats, and I say, but if it comes back to this guy's turn, he can teleport it back into his hand as a free action. She's like, okay, cool. I guess he just doesn't get a turn. I'm like, what do you mean, doesn't get a turn?
0: <laughs> I'm established. <laughs> she, has,
1: she has three more turns before this man acts. Kills him for his first turn. That's awful. From that point forward, she's walking around with, I think it was an 88 electric sword.
0: Oh yeah, that that definitely is a mistake.
1: That had a plus five bonus to it. To go with her 88 dark sword that she already had. Fair I remember just sitting there I remember just sitting there for like another I want to say four or five weeks Stewing over this, being like, "All right, I need to rush this. I need to introduce this Lord of Thunder Im- or this uh, Lord of Thunder immediately and take this fucking sword back because I am not going to let her get to the bat, to the big bad with this fucking weapon."
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple different ways to do it because, like, I was talking with um Tracy yesterday, uh, Marvin, and one of the things that I think came up during that conversation is the the benefit of having somebody who is not involved in the game that you can use as a sounding board for your ideas for like how to handle different stuff. Sure. Um, just to give you like that outside eye. Cause sometimes you can kind of write yourself into a bit of a corner. And I think for like a situation like that, if the sword is like tied to any sort of magical source at all, I probably would have like at that, at that point maybe tied it to some sort of deity or something. And, you know, because the sword isn't like with the proper owner or, or the owner doesn't have a proper bond or whatever the sword, you know, quickly loses some of its power. In order to like justify powering it down, and then creating like a plot motivation for that character to maybe seek out that ability again. Because one thing that works really well for players is if you give them if you give them a toy and then take that toy away, it can be really um, it can be really beneficial for like motivating them to become more active in the campaign to try and get that power back.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I was I was gonna do something. I was gonna you remember Templar, right, Jacob's second character in Van City. The magic dude. Yeah. I was going to have him show up and take the sword. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I should just do this. And I was saying that to Alex. Alex. Alex, who's dealt with Templar in the past several times, said to me, he's like, but what if she kills him and takes, <laughs> and takes his stuff? I'm like, what do you mean, what if she kills him? He's like, well, Templar's whole stick is he has a lot of strong magical items on him. I'm like, yeah. He's like, and her whole stick is that she kills everyone i like, yeah. Is that really Is that a the, shtick? What that just him? sounds like you're a murder hobo. She
2: wasn't a hobo. She had a home.
1: <laughs> she was the fucking party leader. <laughs> like, He's like, yeah, what if she fucking kills him? and like, Takes all his stuff. I'm like, oh. So I can't. <laughs> so I remember just saying, fuck it. I'm just going to have uh Phobos steal the sword from her. I don't even need to roll anything. He's just going to, he knows where she lives. I'm going to have him show up and steal it in the middle of the night what's the worst she gonna do
0: oh those are famous last words so I
1: told her two weeks later I'm like yeah um so off screen Daphobus stole the sword the sword from that the Herald had and she's like what do you mean he stole it I'm like he went into your house while you were asleep or something he took the sword you just don't have the weapon anymore and she's like I'm gonna kill him <laughs> and it started going in my head I'm like, see
0: my pro see, my she concern- didn't kill him well, I was going to say, my concern was the way that they said that. It didn't sound like it was a request. It sounded like a statement of something that's going to happen. <laughs>
1: like, um... She's seen his stats. There was very few people on the team that couldn't kill Deiphobus. He's annoying, but he's not hard to kill. It's just the problem, the inherent problem going after that character is it puts you on the opposite side of other characters in the party. Because was that was her character's cousin-in-law.
0: Uh, Bunny brings up a good a good point. Um, if a player does get a weapon that you did not expect them to get, one thing you can do is introduce some hidden downside, like maybe some sort of curse.
1: I don't think a curse would have stopped that player, to be honest with you.
0: Probably not, but you could definitely introduce some sort of hidden downside that would maybe not necessarily want them to get rid of the sword, but introduce some aspect to it that maybe they weren't anticipating that could lead to more roleplay. So, like, for instance, maybe it prevents them from getting a restful sleep, which, you know, impairs some other abilities. Or, you know, they can only uh you know tap into some smaller portion of its pow- of of its power unless they you know like sacrifice blood to it or something i mean you could you know go wild with it but introducing some other hidden downside or curse to two weapons that the players come into contact with um that maybe the the bad guy or the npc was you know was dealing with and but because you were in conflict you didn't realize that, that was happening um
2: Numenon in my chat says, if not held by the original owner, their max health is halved.
1: Yeah. Uh, I started doing something else later on, is uh, the introduction of that. I think Marvin's seen it on a few of the stat blocks, it's a thing on weapons that say only the worthy. Which is one of those Thor things where if you... Mm -hmm. Unless I arbitrarily say, yeah, it works for you, you just can't use it. I think that's
0: a really good plot mechanic. It's a modified
1: user lock. I think
0: it's a good plot mechanic. Like only worthy characters can do it, and then it kind of gives DM, DM Rain, to just say, "Yeah, it just you can't pick it up." (laughs) Like you can try and disarm it, but the minute that you try and pick it up, it feels like you're trying to pick up a black hole.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Or you know, you try to use it. Cool. Does one d eight damage. Have fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even if you do have, well, you said it had eight
3: d
1: eight. (laughs) Yeah, for that guy. He's worthy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) So, when it comes to... I know we're kind of off topic, so circling back. So, when it comes to, like, power sets for Big Bad Evil guys, do you think that there are, like, particular power sets that work really well for that for that style of character? Or, or can you kind of just do whatever? Like, what are some of your favorite go-tos? Uh,
2: my favorite thing is uh, some form of self-healing, because I don't like to fudge rolls or stats too much in boss fights. Mm-hmm. Um, so, having the ability to heal themselves... <clears throat> While doing something that they already do is uh is really big for me when I'm learning boss battles, like big boss battles, not like
0: stupid. yeah, I mean big bads.
2: Yeah, um, which is actually one of the reasons why I like death clerics as bad guys, because it's just built in to death clerics. Hmm. Um, I also like. Them having one or two very very large dice number damage uh, ability that uh, can almost definitely one shot at least one player.
1: I don't like the idea of having a one shot attack because uh... even if it's the capability of doing it, just mm-hmm. the chance that I might that I might inadvertently. You know, one shot a player right off the bat makes me uncomfortable.
0: Weren't you the guy who was just talking about how often you want to just put people into death traps and watch them succeed?
1: (laughs) A death trap that they have a chance of surviving. I don't want them to die off of one hit. Two hits, yes. One hit, no.
0: Well, it sounds like in Marvin's case, most of them will survive. Just the one unlucky person will not.
2: It's also not something that I ever do round one, because as the DM. I have the option to just not do it round one, so I don't. Um, Marvin,
1: it's well documented. My uh, lack of self-control.
2: Yeah, I know. But I'm talking about me. We're not talking about you. We're talking about me. (laughs) Um, but I like like having that option, and I understand why you don't, because you will use a round one, and I will die. Um,
1: Sorry, I got the less, least HP out of everyone every game.
2: Not this time.
1: <laughs> you want to be smart? I could have said not that time. You played with Brian and dumped at uh Khan.
2: Uh, but I didn't play that game. So what you're you saying is you didn't
1: play that... in palace.
0: So what you're saying no, is, <laughs> so what you're saying is that Dylan was DMing Thanos because he just snapped almost immediately after getting the final stone.
1: <laughs> no, my guy could. Thanos gave a nice little speech after he got that stone. I would have done it immediately,
0: <laughs> and then oh. given the speech to everybody who was still around.
1: <laughs> yep. First comes the snap, then comes the monologue. I'm more of an Ozymandias. By the time you get to me and I start monologuing, I already did it.
2: I mean, that's how that's how villains should do things if they're trying to win.
0: Um, that was a wonderful subversion Watchmen by the way I, I haven't really seen that well done in any other medium despite it being like a pretty significant plot point
2: yeah it's not used a lot um, I think it's because they don't want the bad guys to win to be honest <laughs> yeah, probably I do I always want,
1: <laughs> Look, I always want a wise man once told me if you're not first you're last so we're gonna shake and if bake baby if, yep, if we're gonna have the chance to make sure we get the win we get that w first uh, I hate all
2: of this so I think for me when it
0: comes to like doing big bads um, I, I think that like having s- I mean just gen- in general when I do big fights I do like to have the bad guy having some ability to affect the battlefield you know, in some meaningful way, or to change the paradigm of the fight by either taking control of somebody or doing something like that. Um, I know for this campaign I've definitely leaned into the idea of having, um, like mind manipulation or, like, you know, mind control being some aspect of the bad guys that I've utilized. So that's certainly a thing. Stop
2: mind controlling me, please.
0: (laughs) Um, But I think that, you know, other successful bad guys I've used to have done other you know kind of long-term meet, uh, methods of subterfuge to kind of catch the po- the players off guard in some way um you know I-, I think just for me like i'm much more willing to fudge numbers mid-combat in order to like contribute to the drama of the the battle so like if i'm running a, a battle and the fight's just going way too easily for the players you know it's it's going really really well um, I may you know tack on some extra HP or maybe increase, you know introduce a second stage of the fight that you know allows the characters to do more damage or something like that. Or likewise, if I see that the, the bad guy is like just you know stomping the players and I need to like throw them a bone, I might you know either contrive a reason for the bad guy to let them live and leave or you know maybe alter some of the damage or maybe allow that bad guy to make some decisions during the battle that are not necessarily correct air quotes. Um, such as maybe interacting with an item in the battlefield as opposed to like you know using his full action to attack
1: see i was really hoping this, con- this topic would get brought up i have notes on this <laughs> my four favorite <laughs> my four favorite uh boss character uh power sets
0: okay i'm, I'm here for it
1: ranked oh my ranked from ranked? lowest to top yep <laughs> <laughs> sure. And number one is the greatest.
0: I didn't think that would get a whole tier list today. Wow, I'm I'm excited. I think you are the most prepared guest that we've ever had.
1: I so the when he told number me he f-
0: was
2: making notes that he's more prepared for this than I usually am.
1: <laughs> so number four is area attacks based on the character. So basically radius attacks. Mm-hmm. I because I have a lot of players. No matter what I play, whether or whatever I GM, whether it's Freaking saga edition, Game of Throne, that Game of Thrones one, D and D, or freaking Fane City. Most players go melee, so I let them come in, and I catch those motherfuckers with an AOE.
0: I think AOE attacks are definitely under. I won't say underutilized, but I feel like I underutilize them. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like. Every player is aware that Fireball is a meme, but when the DM starts to huck Fireballs at you, you somehow like feel offended. <laughs>
1: like, like, what do you mean he gets to do that too? Well, because my favorite thing is, like, especially with like Saga Edition and Vain City, the radius AOE attacks, the user's immune. So I can roll a shitload of damage. I'm not taking any of that. You know, there's a the problem with 5Es. A lot of those AOE attacks, you do take the damage if you're caught in it. Mm-hmm. But not if you're an evocation wizard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I'm not going to run an evo- a evocation wizard. I'm going to run a freaking warlock or something.
2: Why not both?
1: Because <laughs> I'm not a dick.
2: Are you saying that I'm a dick and a big bad evil guy? Yes. I think that's correct on both counts. That's fair.
0: Don't you literally... Busted. don't don't you literally have like a high rank in a in a weird scientific organization that is currently bent on bending the rules of reality to its will
2: yeah i also want to take over control
0: yeah that (laughs) sounds like quintessential big bad evil guy just not for the campaign that we're playing
2: i also threatened to kill two of the three players on a regular basis
0: i mean in your defense one of those players has made multiple attempts on your life
2: (laughs) yeah that's true he should stop casting fireball
1: He did. He did, luckily. He shouldn't have done it in the first place.
0: He shouldn't have. How dare he? My favorite part is that the second time was like, it was just because of the mild inconvenience of being stuck in some web. That's why he did it. That was I can get that one, though, but there's, was gonna kill there's,
1: there's better options, though. There's a bunch of cantrips that can deal with the web.
0: Oh, but not He's him. Until my turn. And then He's you could have done the exact point. same thing safely. Oh, goodness Alright,
1: number three. Size manipulation. I like a big bad that can grow big. Preferably into a giant walking target.
0: Oh, you like uh... the big ones?
1: <laughs> yeah, because they soak up damage and they deal damage. I don't think I've That's ever used that. Jack of all
0: I've never made a character that gets bigger, I don't think.
1: Well, I did that... Oh, Tar the, was never meant to be a serious dude. character. He was meant to be, you guys run into him maybe twice, and then it just stuck around. I'm like, all right, cool, we got something here.
0: <laughs> when that background character suddenly, like, you know, it's like, you know what, this guy has enough motivation. He's got to do some evil shit.
1: <laughs> he got famous off of something where he got his ass kicked thoroughly by an NPC in front of Marvin. And because Marvin hyped it up so much, everyone's like, yeah, we love Tar. I'm like, cool, you guys are going to hate Tar soon. <laughs>
0: I think that's a really good um, way to make a bad guy feel a little bit more close to home is by making it an NPC that the players already knew ahead of time.
1: No, he should. Like, I think Tar showed up while you were still playing.
0: I don't remember. Then this they guy went to
1: this other place <laughs> called the New Babylon and fought him there. And then he showed up outside of Guardian's house, and Guardian's wife froze him solid. And Marvin just hyped that up so much, like, oh yeah, you just got your ass kicked, you got frozen solid. I'm like, Yeah, well, this this circle's coming back around.
2: That did happen. I remember that. Garden's wife was uh Atlantean, right? Oh, I
0: remember yeah. I stated that NPC.
1: Yep, you stated Wendy. <laughs> and then
0: And she like randomly became like a very key character through the story. It was so mind boggling for me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was gradual too. It wasn't like a sudden shift.
0: Wasn't on purpose, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. Jacob just liked that NPC.
2: I did too. She was cool. All
1: right. So second one, mind control. I love mind control.
0: I am a fan. I am yeah, a fan of. I.
1: It's just. It's just <laughs> the most. <sighs> Having suffered through players doing it to my NPC several times, I decided to say, "I wonder how far I can take this on a like an actual like g- boss fight." Let me tell you, I took that really far. I almost had a player, I almost had a player's NPC kill that player. Like they took a sidekick, I almost had the sidekick kill the player.
0: I actually had a similar uh, situation come up where like I was using um, a uh, an adult Ublax or an elder Ublax, which mm-hmm. is basically like a it's like a slime that's been that it,
1: Yeah, the things that turn into other people and they get their memories and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like, I was really messing with the party, but, like, one of the abilities that it had is the ability... Because I, I gave it some legendary actions, if I remember right. Or it might have already had them in the book. But either way... That they, is
1: so dangerous. That's a really strong character without legendaries.
0: Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It was real. It, I nearly TPK'd the party. Like, in fact, it came down to the final round. Like, of the four player characters and the, like, five NPCs they brought with them, only one only one PC was up and he was like one hit away from down and he downed the the ublex in the final round but it was um a lot of it was because they had to spend time like hitting their ally to try and break the mind control um before the the ally like murdered them all cuz you know of course you can mind control the the you know melee character
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it was it was rough too cuz like the player char- the the players involved were also trying their best to they were actually like role-playing the incident. So one of the things that the Ublex was doing was making um, like copies of uh, important NPCs that the players knew that the um, you know that they suspected the Ublex had killed, and it was using them to kind of like plead for help, um, in a way to try and like get the players to to be confused. So like basically, this Ublex had eaten the lead guitarist of my uh, of the Bard's band. And so it made a copy of the lead guitarist and had the lead guitarist, you know, kind of say, like, help me, please. You know, as it's, like, fighting the player. So that way the bard, like, pulls his punches because he thinks that it's the actual guitarist in there. And it's not.
1: He's dead. That's just evil.
0: Honestly, it was really hard. <laughs> I, <rough.
1: think> <laughs> like I think the best example of me using it effectively was um, during the Knifemare fight. I had nightmare not even fight them. He was on a rooftop somewhere. And I have mind control two of the players and I think I don't think it was Marvin found him I think it was Eric found uh, saw that uh, Nightmare was on the rooftop and went after him.
2: That sounds right.
1: Yeah, because Eric's the only one smart to look on a rooftop when I have roof uh, terrain.
2: I
0: mean, it's Listen,
1: a You put it on the map and they just say oh yeah, I guess that's just that's just background scenery. Nah, <laughs> that's important somewhere along the line.
2: I don't look up. I don't know what you want from me.
1: <laughs> your
0: character flies. You just described your character as, like, Spider-Pig, where, like, you're physically incapable of looking up, or...
2: No, no, he doesn't look up. Not can't. Just doesn't. Um,
0: <laughs> one thing I do remember about that Ooblix fight um, that I wanted to close on is after the fight ended, um, the bard actually has raised Ed. And he was absolutely broken when he realized that the ooze dissolved the body, so there was no body to bring back. He was absolutely broken after that.
1: That's... That could make some great RPing.
0: It was amazing stuff. Um, the Ublex ended up eating the lead guitarist, his ex-wife, and the entire rival band.
1: I mean, good for H- Bart that he lost the rival band, but the other two is unfortunate.
0: He was really broken up about his ex-wife uh, and his lead guitarist, because like his whole character motivation was to get the band back together, together, and that fight kind of put a punctuation that that dream would never come true. Um, so, Not I don't even think he ever got over that back. it. I don't think he actually got over it. I think his character's still really upset about it.
1: Um,
0: but yeah. So, so what's your number one? I'm gonna
1: one? Jot, jot notes down to. Kill Marvin's best friend and replace him with a doppelganger.
2: Ooh, I mean, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. I want it to be Sean's character again, even though Sean's not here.
1: That's what I was gonna do.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah!
1: <laughs> doppelganger I, from the other planet.
0: I only vaguely remember Sean's character from Van City.
1: A little Antioh? kid like, Atlantean.
0: Yeah, I remember he was, like, super strong when he was, um, you know, lightly moistened.
1: Uh, That was the whole thing with Atlanteans was uh, they get power buffs when they're wet. Um, Guardian adopted him early on after giving him a gun to shoot at Brian with.
0: I recall. I recall.
1: And then he, when Sean stopped playing, the character just stopped being relevant.
0: I mean bold of you to say that he was relevant in the
1: first place. He was comic relief. He was still relevant.
2: <laughs> I was comic relief too. We were both relevant. We were Yeah, look,
1: problem. when you when you're in a party that includes Brian and Lou Tai, the bar is very low to be relevant.
0: <laughs> I mean, and
1: I got I got to I got to split my attention so many ways. As long as you talk, I I'll, I'll give you your attention.
0: In Brian's defense, I think that Boom was probably my favorite character of his that he's ever played, because it's I like...
1: loved Boom. He was great. I don't hold I don't hold Boom, like Brian quitting the original Van City against him. I hold him quitting Darkness against him, because he was set up to have an amazing storyline with Marvin, and he fucking quit right away.
2: Oh, that was gonna be a fun storyline.
1: His character was a private eye that took a lot of revealing... Photos basically he was blackmailing a bunch of like the social elites of the city. And in the session before he quit, I had him blackmail Marvin's character's uh civilian identity, not knowing the two were the same. Mm. And it was gonna be so great. And he quit and I had Marvin kill him off screen.
2: <laughs> I asked to kill him off screen. I was
1: so pissed off. I was like, I set you up. To be a major character for the next ten sessions, and you do this to me.
2: I was like, if Brian's quitting, I have no reason not to kill him off screen. Can I kill him straight up, Siler? Because
1: <laughs> he's blackmailing. Because Marvin's civilian identity was cheat was having sex with the cousin, with the girlfriend or wife. I think it was wife. Wife of another player's cousin, which would have set movie half the. <laughs> which would have set because it was already that specific character and its party leader was already against half the other party and this would have basically forced Marvin onto the other side too because Marvin was siding with them anyways so it was like Eric Jacob Brian Alan and Alex were all facing off against Sarah Z and uh, Marvin and this would have flipped Marvin to the other side. Just by circumstance of, well, <laughs> they hate me. I think of all the DMs. But no, nope, Ryan had to ruin my fun.
0: <laughs> I think of all the DMs I know you're the one who is most prone to to encouraging player versus player content. Is there is that something that you do because you you enjoy that aspect of the game, or is it just that you're your plots tend to devolve into that at some point or another because of the player group.
1: It's a, okay, so it's a little of A and B, but in that specific game, it was wholly because the players did it. Uh yes. Eric's character was playing the um he was exiled to Africa by his sisters for something. I forget what. So he hated his sisters because when his parents died, they had him cut off like got nothing got no inheritance he got nothing they blackmailed him they said he was dead like basically he came back and he was it's like bruce wayne coming back at the beginning of batman begins the city thinks he's dead so he hates him for it incidentally the twins happen to be z and sarah's characters best friends so when eric said i'm taking revenge on my sisters because they basically killed me off in the eyes of the public. So I'm going to kill him in the eyes of the public. Bear in mind, they're, in this game they're playing villains.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's
1: kind of... Z and, Z and Sarah say, nah, we're going to kill you instead. <laughs> I didn't... You could ask Marvin. I did nothing to make this happen. It just... It just did. It just went that way because we had... One person who wanted to play his character and two care two players that want to play their characters.
0: But like, as that DM, said, do do feel that
1: <laughs> earlier in the campaign, uh, Brian's, <laughs> it became a running joke. Uh, Z telekinetically blew out the windows of Brian's car because he said, "Don't touch my car."
0: That is funny. Like, I guess my question, I guess my follow up question is that, like, as DM, do you think that it's your Do you feel at all responsible to try and keep the party together or try and keep the peace in that way in order to kind of prevent you from having to run two different campaigns?
1: If this actually came up um, at the end of the skirmish this past week, if I can help it early on, I will avoid all party uh, conflict. But if it happened that, you know, it just happens organically, I can't stop it. But if it happens early enough, I will nip it in the bud and say no. You have to do this to cooperate. Because Brian, incidentally, was uh, making his character for this next game. And he's like, he's a loner character. He keeps to himself. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. He doesn't want to reveal any information. And at the end of the skirmish, which ended up being a session zero, uh, the the guy who's going to be the party leader says, all right, well, let's get some introductions out of the way. And everyone's going around saying their names. Brian's character turns invisible immediately and says, I'm not telling them. I'm going to follow them to the church. And Dave's like, if I, f-, he's like, bro, that's suspicious. And if you do that, I'm going to shoot you on sight.
0: Yeah. Like, I think so that we kind,
1: of, we kind of forced Brian to, you know, you have to tell them who you are.
0: I think it's such an important, like, cause you can play like loner brooding characters if you want to. But I think that like, at some point you need to, to make the decision that your character is going to do some things that may be like air quotes out of character in order to make them be a part of the group in some capacity, because like, you can't just not be a part of the group. Like you're here to play a social game. You're, you need to be social in some capacity. You can't just, you know, pretend like, you know, you can't just sit in the quarter and brood. You do actually have to engage with the other people at the table, even if it's only sporadically.
1: That's what I told him was, uh, during character creation, when he was going over this whole concept with me, I'm like, it's not my job to give the team a reason to, partner up with you it is your job to find a reason to partner up with them because the onus of teamwork does not fall upon them or upon them it falls upon everyone equally
0: yeah exactly he's like, like
1: yeah they need to come up with a reason to convince me to you know join them since i'm this loner kid that doesn't trust anyone I'm like dude they, they don't need to come up with a reason for <laughs> shit they come up with a reason to work with each other not with you you need yeah, to come like- up with some sort of reason why you're in this group is not on them it's not on me exactly
0: No, you're absolutely right like this is the situation where it's like if your character would not join this party then you made a bad character i'm sorry like your character background sucks because you made a character who has no reason for you to play the game and if your goal is to play dungeons and dragons or vain city or whatever it is your background needs to facilitate that i don't think that's a big ask
1: it's not i said you can give i'm like you can give him a fake name you can give them your real name. You can give them I a freaking literally... street name and say, hey, my name is freaking the Fat Man Slasher. I don't care what you call yourself. Give them a name to call you.
2: I literally said in character, just make up a fucking name, dude. We don't care. Just give us a name. Because it's a superhero setting. We're all using fake names anyways.
1: Yeah, I think what Dave said is like, give us a legal or give us a mask name. I don't care what you do. Just give me a name.
2: I literally said in character, just make up a name, dude. What do, what do you want us to call you? And then Alan started listing off superhero names that match somebody with invisibility.
1: Nah, that's that last one he listed off was a freaking shot at the boys.
0: Yeah, I know. That's not the point. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember that show. It was a good one.
1: Nah, he said call himself Transparent or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. It's a nice nod.
1: Um, I'm like, you're going to call this man this, and you're going to give me the idea of sticking dynamite up them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's definitely a thing that can happen. Yeah, I, but it's a pet peeve of mine, those, those kind of like brooding the creep, No, the
1: part that got on my nerves was not even not telling him the names. It's like, I'm going to turn invisible and follow them. I'm like, that's just creepy. <laughs> so
0: like, that, asked, that's a red I flag. I messaged him
1: immediately, <laughs> I messaged him immediately, I'm like, that's a no-go for me, bro.
0: Yeah, like, as much as possible... I'm I'm all for player versus
1: player, (laughs) but not for that. That's weird.
0: Like, I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be very explicit prior to the game starting. Because, like, I really don't like going at a person and saying, your character should not do this, it's a really dumb idea. I'll often discourage it heavily during the, like, session. So if someone's like, you know, I want to go invisible, my response might be, are you sure that you want to do that? You know, keep in mind that these other people don't know you, so they may be hostile if you just suddenly appear again.
1: Well, during the conceptual phase of his character creation, like, he had three different characters he was going to play. And I said to him when he was, like, uh, you know, deciding on Boom, the current one he went with, I'm like, Mm -hmm. remember, you know, you need to... It's not up to them to find a reason to work with you, it's up to you to find a reason to work with them.
0: Yeah, I think the easiest way to do that is to just, like, give your character a goal, a motivation. Something that you're trying to accomplish that is bigger than you
1: are. Well, like, that's the thing. like He said, like, the motivation for his character was going to be fighting crime in the neighborhood he grew up in. All right, cool, I set the first session, well, the session zero fight, in the neighborhood he's from. And they fought a bunch of villains. And, like, I told Alex, all right, you need to get these guys to go to a church. So Alex says to them, all right, well, I have information on the one of the people we saw. Dave's character has information on two of them. Marvin knows one. And Alan knows the other. So let's all go to this church and we'll share the information we have. Mm-hmm. That to me sounded like, all right, cool. That should have reason for everyone to go. Mm-hmm. Z's character because he's curious. Marvin because he wants to know what the hell Freefall is doing there. Dave because he wants to know what the other two are doing there. Alan because he wants to know why Toxin was there. And Brian, because he wants to know what all these villains are doing in his neighborhood. You would think. <laughs> I'm like, that 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 right there is what we call a slam dunk.
2: Yeah. And for most of us, it, it worked exactly like that. I've never seen Freefall work with anyone. I want to know what the fuck is happening. And Dave was like, yeah, I've seen them work together before, but... This was weird. Not with
1: these guys, not with these guys. But let's find out. And,
2: and, and Alan was like, "I don't like Toxin. If he has friends, that's a problem."
1: <laughs> I got bad news for Alan. <laughs> this entire campaign is going to be a problem for him.
2: Uh, well, yeah, you gave him Venom with more superpowers as his nemesis. He's not going to have a good time with that.
1: You know, funny thing about that. Alan stat at that character. Wait, is this the Damn. Marvel All Venom I did or gu- <laughs> is this the Guilty Gear Venom?
2: Marvel Venom. Marvel. Oh.
1: He made a Marvel Venom with uh, Heat Vision and did Super he- Speed. Did he make
2: this character knowing it was going to be his nemesis?
1: He made ten different characters knowing I was going to pick from those ten characters four to make a nemesis and then I was going to make another one up.
0: Should have made them Toc- all with Tocson no superpowers. Was- <laughs> Toshin was in the
1: first five he submitted.
0: Uh, uh, oh, Alan. Should have made them all with no superpowers. And, bear in yeah. mind, do you remember how scared he
1: was when I said he used heat vision? Yeah. I didn't give him heat vision. Heat vision was already on that stat block. Yeah. All I did was buff his stats. Oh. That character had zero experience, so I didn't add any powers to him. I just gave him bonuses. <laughs> he 100% screwed himself over just being Alan. That's part of the course.
0: This
2: is all it really is.
1: <laughs> when you guys come up against King Fenn later on, I want you to remember this.
2: Oh, you showed me his stat block. Yeah. the only one you showed me, and I said, don't show me the rest. I want to be surprised if they're all this good.
3: <laughs> well, are you... <laughs>
2: I'm not
1: disappointed by the next one I saw. <laughs> he may... To give you reference, uh, Owen, mm-hmm. you remember hero points from the game, right? Basically, yeah. like Destiny points?
0: Yeah.
1: Alan had to blow a hero point in uh, the first session not to die.
0: I can respect that.
1: <laughs> the... <laughs> Alan's character was over in a corner, and the, symbi- the Toxin dude just happened to act first, and I cornered him and just started beating on him.
0: Yeah, I can dig it. That's uh that's a realistic thing that can happen.
1: And he's like, Well, is he surrounded? I'm like, no, because you're not even surrounded. Jump off the side of the roof, bro. Uh
2: and I tried to I tried to stop that from happening. I really did. I drew their attention. I was like, I'm here, look at me.
1: <laughs> no, you didn't. You you ran away.
2: At the very beginning. The first oh, round you... I I literally jumped out and said right.
1: There you are <laughs> Free Fall Come here My Nemesis this, this idiot I was gonna give the players a surprise round Nope <laughs> Marvin is the first one to post an RP <laughs> walks forward saying free fall come here
2: Listen you said
3: blowing you're everyone away. else's cover
2: you said we were free to role play. I was going to role play. I wasn't going to hide from freefall, pussy ass bitch. I mean, what? Because
1: <laughs> Dave and G's characters were like, all right, cool. Does Mike um, die?
2: It's possible. Oh, and there he goes. Oh, yeah. oh, he's back. Hello?
1: Ben, Better? Yeah. Yeah. We can hear you. I don't know why I said I was talking still.
2: So. That was weird. You word. literally cut off
0: mid sentence. Where was it? You were laughing. It was
1: kind of hard to make out. All right, I just told <laughs> Marvin. I'm like, like Marvin posted that. I'm like, oh, there goes the surprise round.
2: Yeah. It was. I weird. was
1: gonna. <sighs> Dave was so mad. Good. And then it worked out. It worked out for him. He killed one of the NPCs all- off the bat.
2: Listen, I didn't do that expecting people to like it.
1: I think, I, was, part of you, I think part of you was.
2: No, I didn't think anybody would like it. Because I was like, this is perfect setup for a surprise round. Let me let's, not do that. Let's blow it. <laughs> I went in and I was like, I'm going to like this. Everybody else is going to be disappointed.
1: Then free falls the only one to did get KO'd. Yeah. So, nuts to you, Marvin.
2: It was worth it. So this is the
0: current campaign that you guys are playing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's uh, We did a session zero. Mm-hmm. Basically so we could see how everyone's characters work. And also so I can see if I need to make any last minute changes to rules, which, guess what? I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is that the one that you would talk to me about briefly?
1: Yeah, about you joining in eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Same one. Um... No, we had to make a last-minute change because one attack was just blatantly overpowered, and then its upgraded version was just too weak. Mm-hmm. Didn't scale yeah. well. It was top-heavy. One of them granted basically double HP for what would have been... You can basically ignore the AP costs. The power cost would have been...
0: Yeah, it was and like a one-point uh,
1: dip, I'm guessing, or two-point dip to double your HP. Um, So, base characters start with 30 HP, mm-hmm. and every turn, every round, you get 50 uh, action points. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, invisible, it grants you an invisible shield, which soaked up 30 damage and only costs 10 AP to use.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's actually really good.
1: We, most attacks cost 25 at the minimum. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. If you're going to double your HP, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, that's a lot. So we boosted it so that it cost 30 to use, and then the upgraded version, which costed 25 but only absorbed 50, but it was a level 5 power, I'm like, let's make that cost 50 but absorb 125. Mm.
2: Mm. So it takes your whole turn. But you get 125 HP, which is a whole which,
1: lot now. It's probably like, takes your entire turn, but it could probably absorb like two really strong hits.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool. And I think Brian was using the excuse, oh, well, why, why are you uh, doing this? I'm losing my turn, um, putting the shield up, and it's just going to go away. I'm like, well... If your entire point is to use your turn to get a lot of HP, that means you're the tank and you should be getting attacked.
0: Yeah. Like and so is this a shield that persists round around, or is it something where you basically have to spend your turn every your turn? Three
1: it three rounds until the HP gets until it takes thirty points of damage.
0: Okay, so, so if it's you don't take like...
1: thirty points of damage within three rounds, then it goes away. You have to re up it. Yeah. Okay. It's not too much to ask.
0: I mean, that seems like a really powerful ability, even, even as listed. Like, even... well, I
1: mean, like most attacks should be able to knock that bit, knock the sword or knock the shield down to like single digits from one hit.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like the the more powerful version, like depending on the damage oh, the, output, that could be the more
1: powerful worse. ones should definitely last like the max amount of turns.
0: Yeah. Um. So I know that. Um. Oh, you know, we didn't even get to your number 1. What was your number 1 power? For Big Bad's?
1: <laughs> teleporting randomly.
0: <laughs> uh, is that localized or, or enemy teleporting the enemies?
1: The enemy can teleport randomly like on anyone's turn. Uh, I gave it to Vulcan, mm-hmm. which is uh I think you fought him once. I recall him. He used yeah. the fire dude that uh teleported a lot.
0: I also made that NPC.
1: Yeah. You did, and then he uh, showed up a second time, and that's when I gave him the unstable version where he would teleport anytime someone moved. So it just became a bitch to fight him. Yeah, cause... You'd have to attack him and then move.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was so great, because it made so many people so mad. Because I think at that point in the game, more than half the party was melee-based. Yeah, so they just couldn't hit him.
0: Yeah, that sounds like it would definitely require some kiting to, to do anything
1: about. And he just had a lot of strong fire attacks. I'm like, you guys are so screwed right now. <laughs> yeah, I remember I made
0: mean, the guy, wasn't he the one that had um fire manipulation and earth manipulation?
1: No, he had fire manipulation and healing factor.
0: Right, right, right. And I remember I made a bunch of NPCs and submitted them to you, and they ended up showing up as bad guys later on.
1: <laughs> a lot of them showed up as bad guys. Like, a lot.
0: I was like, oh, I didn't want to fight this guy.
1: <laughs> and then some of them showed up in like generations as bad guys. Just was a... oh, I'm man, like, you were I really got all these NPCs sitting that. around. <laughs> I got all these NPCs sitting around that have stats and interesting information on them. I'm going to use them somewhere. I think I
0: made like
1: 15 at least. We made like upwards of 30.
0: Wasn't that many? Jeez.
1: Yeah, I, one one uh doc file I have has like twelve of them. Jeez.
0: Yeah, I think I remember I was tr- I was definitely turning them out at one point. I didn't think I had gotten that many of them done, but I remember there was at least like two or three of them that I spent like a lot of time putting like a backstory together for. No idea if you ever used any of them or not.
1: I used every one of them that I had backstory information on. Really, really. Yep. And then you're. Crown Jewel, Galvin, <laughs> ended up being a mainstay in uh, darkness when I did Town. which uh-huh. was one of the most frustrating encounters for the other players. Basically, they went to the southern part of Vane City to hunt down Galvin Prime. And that whole joke I told you about uh, that you and I were running back and forth about like eventually Galvin will have so many duplicates, you won't know which one's the original. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They went there to go kill the original, end up killing uh, Galvin 3. Oops.
2: Nobody it's like, knows well, who is, now.
1: is Galvin is Galvin Prime even around? I'm like, who knows? He's
0: probably in Tibet somewhere.
1: There's, <laughs> there's like six different Galvin towns around the world. You don't know which one he's in. If any. Probably rotten in some jail. No one knows who he is.
0: <laughs> that would be a very, uh... Call my lawyer! Probably keeping him in a in a cell that has no access to electricity,
1: clearly. It was a great like setup. Like they went in there, thinking they were just gonna extract one dude, end up finding out everyone looks like that guy. They start a fight with him, find out that he's actually protecting the like poor and displaced people there. They feel bad about it, destroy half the half the region anyways, and then drag a corpse out.
0: Did we get him? It wasn't Who knows? The right
1: one. No, they dragged Calvin three. <laughs> idiots
2: it <laughs> wasn't even the right
1: one that's I think the uh, one. they found out it was the wrong one and like because it has a tattoo of what number it's supposed to be mm. I think Sarah cut off the yarn that had the tattoo on it
0: <laughs> if I was Galvan Prime I'd probably tattoo an 11 on
1: my arm <laughs> yeah I'm not the original this is one there the other one's just a sharpie nah that's, that's just a poor tattoo <laughs>
0: It's one of those washable tattoos <laughs> you have to reapply it. <laughs> it, it. I'm sorry, is your tattoo flaking? Uh, no. Uh, no,
1: no, give me a second. See? Old.
0: <laughs> hey, Galvin, is that you? Nah, it ain't me. <laughs> I had a lot of fun playing that PC.
1: Um, like, yeah, a lot of A lot of my NPCs that became, like, really notable started out as either other player characters or, like, they weren't meant to be, like, big, bad enemies. Like, the Zodiac, we were only meant to show up once. I ended up using them, like, six times. Made it so that my player is now afraid to go into his train station.
0: Yeah, I I think for me, like, Galvin was a really memorable PC because I spent a lot of time kind of homebrewing different ways to like utilize the power set that he ended up with and i, I remember, think you
1: and jacob had an interesting thing with it
0: yeah yeah because i was basically his lieutenant for a good chunk of that campaign um or at mm-hmm. least for the like, chunk that i was playing anyways up until his death um so, <laughs> yeah
1: he came back don't say that
2: i mean you can still be sad in that he died timeline he came back in this timeline
1: um, well, not this timeline. That timeline. This timeline. He's about to die.
2: Uh, <laughs> Sad times. That's gonna be fun for me.
1: All right. Now I just realized what I'm gonna do to you. <laughs> <I> think...
0: <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, I think that like, I I don't know. I found that the, like initially, I remember being really disappointed with the mutation because it it felt really bad. Like by comparison, but I you gotta take end.
1: damage to use it, right?
0: It, well no well i think part of it was just like oh man this could have been cosmic ma- manipulation because you had mentioned that it was pretty close like number wise
1: um yeah i think it was like 12 off
0: yeah yeah um and i was like oh man that would have been cool but ultimately i really enjoyed the duplication aspect of the character like i genuinely enjoyed that aspect of him more than like all the different various lightning powers that he had because it was just mm-hmm. it was just really novel to utilize
1: yeah, it made him, like, unique, because a lot of characters had, like, the ability to manipulate electricity, but then he was able to, like, clone himself.
0: Because, like, that was basically my whole thing, is, like, I was, like, kind of a gish, I had, like, relatively, like, medium-strength range attacks, and I had pretty, like, weak-ish, like, melee. Like, it wasn't zero, but it was, you know, kind of weak by comparison to, like, a melee specialist. But yeah, there I think was. Yeah, of you
1: got that, that uh, <laughs> that rod like in uh infamous.
0: Yeah, yeah, I ended up getting like a weapon for a CQC, but. But I mean, like the thing is that like I basically could out action economy basically pretty much everyone else. So even though I wasn't doing a lot, like there was enough of me, and that was
1: enough you to make you very annoying to fight.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, so like that, but between that and like the teleportation and like limited flight that I had, um. I just had a lot of fun playing the character. Uh one of my top five like PCs I would say I've ever played.
1: He would yeah, probably probably in the top top four for man characters from the original Game City. Behind Q, Cypher, and Soul.
2: Uh good stuff. Cypher Crime was so fun. I miss him.
1: It was it was fun seeing Soul literally have to herd cats.
0: uh so i know we we uh are about to hit the two hour mark so i don't want to get too too deep into another new topic but i you know obviously you know you having been someone who's designed a system basically from scratch and have kind of continued to iterate on that for the last what 10 years plus um you know do you think that like, what do you think are some of the merits, Or, I guess? What are some of the reasons that you decided to, like, design Main City in the first place?
1: So, you guys remember how I used to be really into, like, form RPGs? Mm-hmm. The ones on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I linked you guys into a couple of them. Mm-hmm. One of the first ones I did, like, one of the first ones I got into back in high school still was... uh, uh Sim Superhero, I think. Mm-hmm. Which lasted all of, like, one week. But that's where I got the <laughs> basis for the original... Uh, Van C, how they had even like the elemental stuff where I said you can only manipulate X amount of like cubic feet of, him, of this material, mm-hmm. and then the transmutation that all came directly from that game. And the rest mm-hmm. I started adding because I was looking at all right, well, these are superhero powers that are pretty well, you know, prevalent throughout comics. I'm going to use these ones, <clears throat> these ones are kind of rare, but I'll still use them because they're iconic. But then, like, you know, out of necessity, we need to add in. Um, actual stats like you need to roll something to see if you hit you need to roll to see what your damage is mainly because it came down to that Zodiac fight where we were arbitrarily saying alright you did that much damage you did that much damage to this person and it's less to this person for some stupid reason mm-hmm. so I'm like alright yeah this isn't gonna work we're gonna have to add in uh Actual mechanics, Yeah, so that's where I start looking at this, uh, saga edition thing for, um, inspiration for inspiration because you know, three defenses. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, fortitude can be what I'm going to use for HP and, you know, we'll also base, um, poison stuff out of that reflex will be basically anything physical. And then will defense is going to be psionic damage, you know, anything mental. Mm hmm. And so we started moving forward from there. And then, you know, I'd have players saying, well, can I do this? And I'd look at the rules. And I'm like, well, the rules don't say you can, but let's make a rule that says you can. Uh, N18 was the, you know, before Dave and Jimmy got involved, you know, later on, mm-hmm. like from Vane City all the way to Vane City generations, N18 made s- more rules than almost anyone except for me. He would legit like say, Hey, can we add this power in? And then give me an entire power. And I would look it over, have to change maybe one or two things of the wording and say, Yeah, this is a new power. Uh, he would suggest different rules. Like, he's the reason grapples exist in my game, let alone multi grapples, which is something he complained about for no lie like four weeks straight, saying, Why can't I grapple two guys? Why can't I grapple a third guy? Why can't I grapple a fifth guy? I'm like, come on! All right, if you want to grapple these many people, you're gonna start taking penalties. I don't care as long as I can grapple anyone I want.
0: Jeez, you just occurred to me that it came into you you know grapple more than one person.
1: You guys seen how I like to GM? I like to let players do what they want within reason. Mm. So that's the whole reason I like the homebrew aspect is that if a player comes up with a rule as long as it doesn't ruin the spirit of the game i'm not you know above saying okay let's add that to the game you know mm-hmm. if a player somehow, at this point it's kind of harder cuz we've been playing this game for you know almost a decade now anything that anyone wants to do i basically already have in the game at some somewhere along the line
3: mm-hmm.
1: but you know we start looking and saying all right well someone wants to do this can we add this in somewhere like the biggest thing was um with Speed, the whole issue with Speed just getting exploited all throughout Generations in Darkness. I said to you know Dave and Jamie, I'm like, this needs to change. This is a freaking problem. If you don't have Speed, you're handicapping your own character at this point.
0: Yeah, it's no fun when everybody's so a speedster.
1: Yeah, so we end up changing the rules. Now Speed's legit a power you don't need. Other powers do similar things. Mm-hmm. Um... So we started adding in different things like, all right, well, what if I want to be a robot? Okay, cool. Now robots have this power. They don't need to, they're not susceptible to mental powers, but they're weak to these things. Mm. All right. Well, Atlanteans were kind of weak or kind of overpowered because everyone was getting a hydro suit and taking hydrokinesis. Well, I guess we're just not going to have that whole, if you're wet, you get more powerful thing are just going to be able to swim real fast.
0: Yeah. And, and be think,
1: more inherently strong.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so you got to make decisions sometimes for balance reasons. And I think that yeah. like when you're trying to, like, I think the key thing here is that like at the end of the day, these are decisions that you're making in reaction to like observations you make while you're playing the game. And that by and large, you're not changing the rules of the game just
1: based off of conjecture.
0: Well,
1: mm-hmm. like one of the things we had a conversation, what was it yesterday? Right, Marvin? with the uh, rule character. Character yeah we had a conversation over the last two days with Brian because you know unfortunately and you know this feeling because you were involved in a lot of the early stuff too Brian keeps feeling like every time he makes a character and finds something strong I nerf a, a bill I nerf whatever made him strong it came up because of the invisibility thing with the uh extra HP and I'm like mm-hmm. look bro it's nothing personal. You just happen to find a loophole no one else thought of because no one uses invisibility. Mm. Like, it's not like we're targeting you specifically, just like I never targeted Owen specifically. A lot of times, you guys just happen to find certain powers that on paper, perfectly fine. In action, not acceptable. And I'm like, I don't ever do it maliciously to you guys. There are certain times I see I am looking for a specific player to do something and see if it's broken. Like uh, with Sarah during Darkness, anytime she did something that I thought that's breaking my encounter, I would change it immediately. Anytime uh, Alan found a new exploit for speed, I'd do something to counter it immediately. But I'm like, Brian, you are hardly the worst recipient of me changing rules. I'm like, Marvin is. You know why? Because Marvin takes powers other people don't take at the same time, but they'll take separately. Like he had telekinesis, super speed, and I think he had invulnerability at some point on the original Cypher.
2: He also had uh, heat manipulation.
1: Yeah, but these Tem- three...
2: Body temperature manipulation. I could control the temperature in my own body. Yeah, yeah.
1: But these three powers all eventually got nerfed because of other players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. What's his name? Z caused Telekinesis to get it nerfed three separate times because he just happened to beat marvin to the higher levels alan just by nature of being alan got speed nerfed almost every month and then invulnerability got nerfed because of jacob
0: which makes sense i mean i think that like the key difference here is that like When you're making changes to the game, it's because you're trying to make a better system, not because you're trying to adjust for, like, the current campaign necessarily. Like, it's different from DMing 5e, right? Like, if I'm DMing 5e, and then my player is a paladin and has the aura of courage or whatever that buffs everybody saves by, you know, the charisma bonus or whatever. Like, if I go through an encounter and then change that shortly afterwards because I don't like the way that that the rule is implemented, that makes me look like an asshole because the rule as written is different. But when you're the mm-hmm. creator of the game, and you're basically beta testing a system that's been in ongoing development for eight years plus, like that's not a personal decision if the goal is to try and develop the system to be you know, more balanced for everybody involved.
1: Correct, mm. and that's why like, with the biggest overall changes, which is um, the whole way combat works now, mm. you can ask Marvin, combat works so much smoother now. Because we did away with speed. Um, speed as a power still exists. But now we made it AP based instead of, you know, the Saga edition. You got to move standard swift. Now you get 50 AP. Nothing can raise raise that number. Certain things can lower that number. No power raises it. Nothing. Do what you want. By the way, here's some new introductions to make up for the fact that, you know, now you get less turns turns per round. We got hero traits, which is basically like legendary actions. At higher ranks, players can start unlocking these things. They're amazing. A lot of players pick certain powers just to get a certain one. Um, And then I added the origins thing just to help change the way certain origins had been broken since the start of the game that I was trying to fix. like, um, In Darkness, we, I think in Generations as a whole, we did away with magic. Like I said, magic's no longer a thing. Sorry. And then Darkness, we brought it back, but I said, in order to get this you have to take something really really damaging to your character like um you had to take nemesis to get magic which made no sense you're basically punishing a player mm-hmm. so now we made it the thing like if you want to go magic sure you can go magic but you can't take any other normal powers you want to go norm- I think that like... was the
0: original conceit of mystic wasn't it because you had to take the mystic trait but if you did that you couldn't take any meta abilities in the original version.
1: Um, no, yeah. you could... No, because uh the original Grimoire had speed.
2: Did he? I don't think he yes.
1: did. Yes. He had speed or he had invulnerability. He had one of the two. But, um... I,
0: I think you had a rule that... Sir, I, I, I remember this, actually. You had ruled that it wasn't that you couldn't, but you couldn't rank them above one, if I remember right, for the meta abilities. I and think it was that was for,
1: for m- most things, anyways, after sign-up. But, um, regardless, now... You know, if you go magic, no matter here's your magic powers, you're you're good. You can take these and you can take like the proficiency powers now, which is the old skill powers. Right, right. There's some players that are like, well, do I need to take any magic, like normal powers? Can I just be a normal person? You know, use gadgets. I'm like, cool. Here's the rules for gadgets. All written out, laid out plainly for you to see. You can go human, can't take normal powers. You can take all your power points at sign up, put them into gadgets. Oh, by the way, you get a permanent ten percent bonus all each all experience gained, because you're playing basically on hard mode. Yeah, and I think and then like... go on. Hmm? Oh, and then for Atlantean, we fix that whole bullshit involving water. Right, right.
0: I was gonna say, I think that part of the frustration too as a player probably stems from the idea that some of the the rules are um not obf- well, obfuscated, it- but like they're they're not necessarily like it's not in a pdf that you can go and read necessarily
1: well one thing that i know that you would like compared to the way the original game was run with mutations they were all on one document and you can pick which mutation you get
0: yeah which was i think that's a huge improvement just because like it was a feel bad a lot of the time
1: <laughs> yeah the, now we've categorized you know you got your red mutations which are bad you get your blue mutations which are all good and then you get the green ones which are you know like Holy Fire and Human Atom. Hmm. Stuff you can't take. And you can ask Marvin, with the exception of maybe one or two, all the red mutations are actually kind of good.
2: I think the vast majority of them are at the very least neutral. Like,
1: like the very- only ones that don't really help in any way whatsoever is fur and scaled skin. Yeah. Even, cryo- even cryogenic blood helps you a little bit.
2: I mean, it always did. It just had a huge
1: downside before it had to loot high stigma let's get let's, I might, let's put that out there
2: i'm gonna be honest i think what
0: i would do if i were to to throw my my hat in the ring is for the powers that don't effectively do anything like fur or scales that are just like negative cosmetic changes i think what i would do is i would say if you roll like let's say it is i don't know if it's still random or not but if you do, you do get one of it's those, po-
1: you pick whatever you want
0: so someone could just pick fur for no reason
1: yeah
2: uh so i don't know if you remember how the boon and drawback system worked
1: uh had positive yeah. and negative backgrounds at that point
2: yeah you we had we had positive and negative backgrounds I recall. now you have to take one boon to take a boon you have to take a drawback so if you want a good mutation the easy response is to take a bad one
0: Gotcha. So to basically, if you're saying, "Oh well, I could go and get the human atom, but I'd have to pair it with scale skin."
1: Can't get human atom.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just using it as an example.
1: Not yeah. If you want, problem. like, let's say I want to get pyrokinesis. Cool. I guess I'll take fur. Really odd combination, but you can <laughs> do it.
0: It makes a lot of sense if your character's like from the Arctic.
1: Yeah, I wasn't really thinking of thinking out loud when I was. Well, I wasn't thinking when I was saying it, but like, in essence, yeah, you can take fur. And pyro or fur and Cosmokinesis. and then you know um people were like why are you gonna one of my f- one of the guys that was testing the system with Dave was like why are we making all the green mutations public if you can't take them well with power mim- power mimicry, each of the levels does something different at ultimately at level five you're gonna have five powers to be copied at some point yeah but number one is you can copy any normal power. So, any of the non uniques number two allows you to copy a unique power, three allows you to copy a bad mutation, uh, four allows you to copy a good mutation, and five lets you get one of those, you know, like holy fire Top or tier. human atom. Yeah, and people are like, Well, why do you have to wait so long to get it? I'm like, Because odds are, if you've I'm like, If you're gonna rank up power memory to five, I'm like, There's an understand, there's a trust here, you know, that if you're gonna invest. Fifteen thousand experience to get that power i'm going to at least within the next five sessions give you the ability to get to use that power like yeah it's gonna suck because you have to invest so much to get to there but i'll reward you i'll throw that person at you it might not be the one you want but it'll be someone with a green mutation
0: yeah and i think that like the other thing that they're missing out on too is like as a dm like, I would view the green mutations as something you would put in a DMG, hypothetically speaking. Where, like, as DM, like, you could easily contrive a plot element where, like, an accident happens and someone's mutation, like, literally mutates again and they get one of these superpowers instead.
1: I'm not beyond doing that. It's just, I put them there so people know what they're getting into. So that if they say, oh, well, you know, um, I'm looking for... Uh, let's say, Holy Fire, but this dude happens to have Human Atom. Yeah, they're comparable, but I really do want Holy Fire, so I'm going to pass on Human Atom. Cool. You know what you're passing on, so you're going to have to wait longer.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's that, a like... Way, the... It's an out for me. Yeah, I agree. Like, because one of the the things that was always really frustrating is that there was so much information that was concealed, initially. Mm-hmm. So that could lead to, like, if you don't have a lot of trust with your DM, that could lead to a lot of mistrust with the people that you're trying to test with. And at the end of the day, you really need their, their like, actual feedback if you're going to try and, you know, take their their feedback and improve your, your system. But I guess what, I'm, what I was trying to say is that, like, at the end of the day, you're the only one who's DMing v- uh, City by and large. So, like, a lot of these rules are going to be through the context of how you run a game. Whereas Marvin or I mm-hmm. may run a VC game very differently, and that would cause a different implement not a different implementation, but a different view of, I think, some of the rules that maybe already exist, or some of the power sets that I mean, exist. if that's
1: the case, you guys are free to change the rules as you want. The ones that I set up are basically the rules that I want for the games I run. That's um, one of the other guys. Uh, I think it was Jimmy ran a VC game. Where he was basically doing it in um what's called a steampunk setting, so he took out like a hand, like a chunk of the powers and changed certain rules. I'm like, why'd you do that? He's like, because they don't fit the setting, so I changed it to fit the setting. You know, kind of like Shadowrun. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, these this is meant to be more of a base, you know, a template for other people's games. Yeah. And then. Like I said, the whole reason behind listing the green mutations publicly, just like how I list all the magic powers publicly, is that if you pit, if you get all the way up to, um, what's it called? To twenty-one thousand experience, you you blitz for power memory five, it takes you like what twenty-five sessions to get there, and then five sessions later, I have, you know. Exhale show up with holy fire and you say well, I don't want holy fire. I want human atom. I'm like, are you sure? You don't want to copy that he's like, yeah, I am like, cool I can then take my time to introduce someone that has human atom because you know what you passed on It's not like me saying. Oh, well This one's better than this one. You just didn't know it No, you know how strong each one is in comparison. You made the active choice as a player to pass so as a GM I will then wait until the point makes sense to me to introduce the other guy. It's not me punishing you. It's you making decision to wait. And me making decision to then introduce the other guy at my leisure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a totally reasonable take. And the thing is, too, is like as a player, you also have the ability to try and enforce some agency on the world anyways. So if Mm -hmm. I know that there's a power that I want, well, then presumably I can go and look up that power if that's my goal. There
1: happens to be a skill in the game called gather information. You know if someone out there exists that can manipulate, you know, the atoms around them, they can transmute shit. And you say, I want to copy that guy's power. Cool. Do the research. Find out where he's going to be.
0: Yeah. And then there you go. You know. Trick him into using it in front of you,
1: and there, there you go. Yeah, but don't be like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna wait until you ship, until you introduce him yourself," because I don't have any rush to do that. I'm introducing, you know, that guy with Holy Fire because, as a courtesy, that is an equally powerful power. It's just not the one you want.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I remember like when Bob was playing Mike, in the campaign, and he had power mimicry as well. And I remember mm-hmm. he picked up. Um, I want to say it was like portals. 3 or Portals 4 or something?
1: I think it was Portal 4.
0: It was Portal 4. I know. I remember it wasn't quite the highest rank, but it was pretty high for, like, where we were at. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, yeah, he could have been really selective and waited to try and find something better, but, like, at the end of the day, like, it was a good enough power for him to pick up. And so, he did it and made it his.
1: Definitely. Like, there's no punishment for doing that. I mean, like, like, the rule stays. Like, there's no reason not to pick up something early on because... Otherwise you can only you're pick up one green mutation. You can only pick up one blue and one red. So you do need to pick up some shit, shit powers before you reach that point. So pick up something that you know you think will work for you. If you see someone that has, um, you know, flight, and you're like, I want to fly. Cool, pick that up. Start developing into something better. Or if you want to wait until you see someone with a uh, super, uh, super strength or vulnerability. I mean, odds are you're not going to wait that long. That's one of the most common powers I throw on characters, but... But you never you know. Do what it, do what you want.
0: Yeah, or you can wait for the guy to you show know up which, You know what's the... available to you. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, you just wait out and you're just a normal dude until the guy who has, you know, wings of flame shows up, and then there you go.
1: Just wear a nice suit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sit on a park bench, watch your friends
2: casually get that... nearly murdered.
1: <laughs> Bro, that pissed me off so much about that fight. <laughs>
2: That was my favorite
1: part about that fight. I'm like, you could stop this fight at any point. He's like, I know. I'm like, you're uh, just going to let him die. He's like, yep. Yeah, it
0: was fun. I think one of the things that I strive only to, to do... It took
1: Jacob choking him out.
0: <laughs> I, I enjoyed that scene a lot. I think one of the things that I strive to do that like, I, I wish I could get my players to do more frequently is creative uses of their turn. And that was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed VC like version 1 is because there were no real actions to speak of it was strictly like it's your mm-hmm. turn what do you want to do and i think that that encouraged players to really get into the role play aspect of the role playing game whereas i think it's a system like 5e um, and sagas and such because they have the action move action swift action system in place it it constrains the way that players think about their turn and so they're thinking like okay well if i do this it'll stop me from attacking for the turn will it deal any damage what's the mechanical advantage that i get from this and I think that it it in a lot of ways stymies a lot of players who want to kind of play their turn quote unquote optimally, um, and it's something that I've tried really hard to break, and it's 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 really difficult to stop.
1: What what I like about the changes so far is um one's a cause one kind of is a co- I guess the best term is a cosmetic change. The other one is that fifty AP is that if there's no action that's listed that you want to do, you can ask me to do something, and I'll tell you how much AP that will cost. And it's within reason because now turns instead of taking like six seconds or five seconds like five e does, each round is about ten seconds. So you have more leniency. you know if you say dylan, how how much uh, AP would it cost me to do x action? I'm like, well, realistically, that should cost you about like four seconds, so let's let's call it at twenty five.
0: Yeah, and I think that like even as like if you're trying to design the system for someone else to pick up and use as well. You can even put together like a. Um, like, I know in the DMG for 5e, they have um, different tiers for like damage for like unlisted damage types. And it's like, you know, like, you know, 2d10, 4d10, 8d10, 10d10, or whatever, depending mm-hmm. on if it's like a minor source of, of, you know, unlisted damage or a major source of unlisted damage. So, like, lava damage isn't listed anywhere, but most people would consider lava to be a pretty significant source of damage. So, 10d10 There's seems about like right. an 8d10. Yeah, it's ten to ten. It's the maximum that that the system allows. Oh. Um, but the thing is, yeah, you could... I vaguely
1: remember that happening in uh, what's it called, critical Role. someone running into fire after uh, that's that happened twice. One, uh...
0: That's happened twice now. I remember,
1: <laughs> I remember it happening after what's his face got smashed. Uh, Perkins' character got smashed by the fist. I remember. Yeah. Someone was... had to run into fire lava.
0: Yeah, that was Sam Regal's character, um, if I remember right. But that actually happened to Laura Bailey's character like two sessions ago as well. Um they ended up on the elemental plane of fire. Um so, you know, that
1: That's was not interesting. Some were fun to be. It, it was Technically they should be dead.
0: It was a it was an emergency I mean, escape is what it was. They they were being pursued by some very dangerous wizards, and literally they just like <laughs> smash and grabbed a scroll of plane shift because they were all out of spell slots and had no other choice matt
1: let them live because he's usually strict about that stuff you can't you can't actually breathe the air in the elemental plane of fire
0: um i think they ended up like in a room that did have some sort of atmosphere um because Uh, it was like a safe uh, like a safe safe house or whatever of the mage that owned the the spell shift scroll
1: yeah i was gonna say because like he's if i remember correctly the only place you can actually breathe is the elemental uh air
0: yeah premature Because even the earth one, you can't
1: breathe there um even earth when you can't breathe, and the water when you can't breathe because it's supposed to be all underwater.
0: Yeah. Um, but anyways, I mean, point still stands though. You could do something similar with the AP system where you could set up a tier list of like okay is this like a minor action a major like you know exertion of the character and then kind of break up and say okay if it's something that you know doesn't take very much time maybe do 10 ap if it's something that's like a medium exertion of energy then you know 25 if it's a like significant you know then maybe 40 or 50 Um, and you could easily bracket it out that way to give yourself a guideline for like if somebody does ask
1: yeah i'll definitely talk to dave about that and we'll try to work out something to add into the combat rules about that because it does it does qualify to like have that written somewhere.
0: It helps just like the, to tra- give you like a skeleton to work off of.
1: Yeah because we don't like at this point we're trying to make it as transparent as possible for the players. like this is what we're working with. here's all the rules. nothing's hidden from you. Good luck.
0: Yeah, and, like, some of it's fine. Like, obviously, like, DM, like as a DM, you make decisions all the time that are behind closed doors. Like, yeah. you know, the, the biggest I mean, secret of Dungeons & Dragons is that all difficulty, you know, classes for all skill checks are arbitrary entirely. Right?
1: <laughs> don't let them know that.
0: Yeah. Don't, but it's all totally arbitrary on whether or not I'd like you to succeed or not. It's...
1: <laughs> like, nothing's arbitrary in this game. Big wink. <laughs> um... No, what I what I recently started doing for the first time in 10 years is uh I don't make my roles public anymore.
0: Honestly, I don't know why you For the longest time, I would do
1: mine in the public room cuz I've for two reasons. One, you know, it was more convenient, you know, the the dice spots right there so I might as well. <laughs> and two, I don't want to talk about it cuz it's more embarrassing. I know Marvin knows exactly why. It was fun. <laughs> I will say I'm, that
0: like one thing how about it... i How long have I
1: gm for you? For probably my... like eleven years now. Me?
2: Uh yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Owen. Until like uh three days ago, I never had dice.
0: Like just never bought them? Yeah. Have you never owned a Monopoly box?
1: Monopoly box never comes with a D twenty has a D6. Well, that doesn't do me no good unless I'm playing a freaking (laughs) D6 system.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like you designed an inadequate system for the tools you had available, sir.
1: That's the joke on you. original Vane City game was all D6s. I just said it was a D100. Yep. That's why it was all bullshit.
0: (laughs) I knew it was all bullshit. Everybody knew it was all bullshit.
1: How many degrees success did no one get? Well, that looks like a fucking two.
0: I mean, I don't think it was a secret to anybody. Everybody knew you were just making the shit up on the back end and just using random dice as an excuse for why you decided one way or the other. Like, I don't think that was a secret.
1: Uh, no, my favorite thing about dice is that I can always rely upon one of you to screw up, like, N18. That's that's the pinnacle right there. That that roll with the turtles. Oh, was right fun. there, the, uh, that's the dragon I'm chasing. I want one of you guys to make a joke roll one day and roll a one.
0: It was this white whale.
1: That right there is a dragon.
0: No,
1: i <laughs> like never him, will. The greatest story ever told. And it, we're talking about some random turtle, and N18's character who's never seen a turtle before is like, what's a turtle? I'm like, why don't you go ahead and roll a uh, knowledge uh, life science to find out. It's like, okay. And he rolls a one. I'm like, a turtle, as far as you know, is your species' natural predator. Eat your candle eyes. They're dangerous and not to be trusted. And that running joke has lasted about 10 years now.
0: It's a solid one.
1: It came up when I was playing my 5e game. They were in a dungeon. Uh it was we were doing the ascent the sentence of Vernus. Mm-hmm. And they were in a dungeon. And you know, part of the dungeon was submerged. And I was trying it so hard because any team is playing a gnome. So he couldn't, you know, the water goes up to his freaking neck. Yep. So I was like, all right, I need to convince these guys to go over to this dead end. Because it's deep water and I can have a giant turtle in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to bait them so hard. They're like, someone cast uh, detect magic when they entered. And I'm like, you feel a very strong pull po- coming from this direction. And Dave's character was like, yeah, screw that noise. <laughs> He's like, I'm going this way.
0: You should have where the um...
1: lights where there's clearly light. Meanwhile, Andre, Alan, and someone else, I want to see it was Brian, went to the other direction and got attacked by a giant snapping turtle and it almost KO'd all three of them.
0: That's excellent. You know what you should do is next time you're running a a VC game with any team playing in it, you should have the uh, (laughs) you you should have them uh, go into a sewer system and uh, fight the uh, genetically modified pre-pubescent samurai turtles.
1: I think I was telling Martin about that. I was gonna make that into his nemesis. Right
2: now, when that's his actual nemesis,
1: <laughs> so n teams they're, they're, they're really into bio ordering, Recently,
0: uh, they're really into ordering breakfast burritos instead of uh instead of pizza.
1: <sighs> they're really into Mexican food for some reason. Uh... And instead of being named after Italian, uh, what's it called? Renaissance painters. They're all named after conquistadors.
2: Going to go get some tamales. Uh, Two things real quick. Yep. Numenon in my chat says "Uh, you treat a d6 as 21 and roll in intervals of 3.5 on the d6 to get the margins you need to run a d20 system. And you just only have 6 intervals. I hate that.
1: Man, that sounds really complicated.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thanks, <laughs> I hate
0: it.
1: I would really just <laughs> rather I'd really just rather roll 4 d6 and treat 1s as re-rolls.
0: Yeah, got to be honest, Numenon. you're a real G. I appreciate it.
2: Numenon's the homie. This is why we keep him around. Word? And, uh, no, we uh Neku has uh has asked for a pro tip on uh Dragonborn Bard of the College of Whispers.
0: Dragonborn Bard of the College of Whispers. A pro tip for pro tip? playing that character? Uh don't that's a pro tip. I can appreciate that. I love
1: bards. Don't play a Dragonborn Bard. <laughs> play a
2: Dragonborn Bard.
0: Um, I, have a, I have a pro tip. If you're going to be a, a Dragonborn Bard, I would say, for your performance, make it like guttural throat singing.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's a good option, because you can never actually lose your uh, spell focus.
0: Oh, yes, you can.
1: <laughs> I mean... As a bard that had his character slit his own throat, yes, I understand you can. But at that point you're just dying anyways. We
0: can revive him. Wait, no, he's he, he's using thieves can't. He's saying don't do it.
1: But Oh. I don't think you actually ever heard that story.
0: I definitely have heard so, the story. You've definitely told the story me. The story about
1: how I killed myself? Yep. Well, tried to kill myself unsuccessfully?
0: Yep. You oh, that was you one of my story.
1: favorite things that ever happened out of my least favorite campaign I've ever been a part of.
0: I mean, you can share it for the story, just I am aware of the story.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I was playing a... I think that was a th- 3.5 game, because I think that was way before 4.0 or 4th fourth, fourth edition. And I was with a group of players and this DM. We had played three campaigns before that, and I knew these guys for years at this point. But one of the guys was like really, really into... Um, min maxing And he played an alchemist. I don't remember what species. And then, you know, we had my friend Eric, who was a cavalier. He was in charge of the party. Mm-hmm. Then you had me, playing a bard named Johnny. And then... Someone else playing a... I think a thir- mystic thurge.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And Z was playing a elven uh priestess and in this setting elves were seen as prostitutes for some reason
2: mm-hmm.
1: kind of i'm gonna be honest all the settings that this dm ran really weird
2: which dm was this kiva oh yeah that sounds like kiva
1: yeah and then gabe was playing a noble but gabe got killed off really early so he re-rolled as someone else so we go through this city it was a port city called port win and got attacked by a bunch of marauders uh a fleet of marauders. Found out later on it was another Empire invading. So Yeah, you know, we go through the city. My guys proves to be very annoying, but he's the face of the party. I had the highest uh diplomacy check. And um at some point we come across the city guards, and I was the one that got us into the castle where it was safe. And because of that, and because I took all the fucking credit for saving the city guards. Which you know only fair. Um, I mean, clearly, I get invited to this... work. Clearly, I'm the fucking best. <laughs> so I get invited to a uh, banquet that night, and I bring the elf with me because she was the only one being nice to me. Oh,
2: so meanwhile I'm at the ban- <laughs> dinner party with a whore.
1: I get to the banquet, and they say, "Why'd you bring a whore to the party? <laughs> oh, Lord. Did nothing to defend her honor." I forget, but at some point I did Detect Magic just because I was bored. And I remember Marvin talking to me that week saying, yeah, I love using Detect Magic. You can just Detect Magic everywhere. <laughs> Let's use Detect Magic. So I Detect Magic and this dude sitting next to me I detect he has a very large source of magic coming from his groin. Like, Man, that man's got a magic penis. <laughs> and I even get caught staring at his groin. And someone's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. I just... It caught my attention. <laughs> Fast forward. the Captain the guard, who was the one I had originally convinced that uh, that I had done all the saving of everyone, mm-hmm. was named Captain Owen. Yo. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. Uh, we go to sleep. Uh, the marauders break into the castle, and there's a huge fight. So we're going with Owen... Or we're going with the guards over to uh, save the... I think it was a count. Basically, whoever's in charge of the city. Mm-hmm. We come across Owen, who's apparently in league with the with the uh, Marauders. That's Owen insane. was my only friend at this point. Him and I were really nice to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so with a tear in my eye, I helped defeat him. And we end up bounding him and gagging him. So, bear in mind, throughout this entire situation... The min max player, out of character and in character, is being a dick to me because Johnny wasn't exactly made very good. I, um, stat I made the primary stats, dex and, um, charisma, but I dump statted, wisdom, mm-hmm. and played him as such. Um, uh, so. He's being a dick to me the entire time saying oh you're being useless you need to do this and this instead i'm like dope i'm like don't tell me how to play my character so we get to the counts area find out he had been stabbed and is basically on death's door we evacuate him i search the room see the dude with the magic penis find out no it wasn't a magic penis he just had a magic dagger sta- uh, strapped to his thigh so i take the dagger with me find out it's a plus one dagger of bleeding um,
0: that is not something that you should store in your groin or your femoral artery no. Mm-mm.
1: <laughs> I don't know how he died I think we ended up killing him don't remember so we go and evacuate to the city sewers very tragic scene the uh, party leader Eric his, uh, he was playing a cavalier had to leave his horse behind to save us like Aww. his horse had to stay in, in a uh, chamber was va- very quickly filling up with water just to hold the door open for us. That's very sad. So we escape, go through the sewers, get out on the side. Bear in mind, this entire escape took us about four weeks in real life. It was just a, it was a dungeon, uh, it was a dungeon crawl. Get out on the opposite side. Owen's with us. The uh, counts stabilized at this point, and there's a bunch of city nobles with us. No guards or anything. And very importantly, I get told. Right before, you know, we were about to set up camp, the fucking other players being a dick to me still, the min-max guy. Mm. So I contact Kiva quietly. I'm like, I have a question. He's like, what? I'm like, I want to do something. Can I do it in private? He's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to volunteer for guard duty real quick. So I go up to everyone. I'm like, I'll keep guard of the uh, captives. Cause I think we had Owen and two other people captive. Mm. It might have just been Owen, but I'm pretty sure there was someone else there. He's like, alright. So I'm like, right, I want to keep track of the prisoners. And everyone's like, alright, cool. Go do that. Waste your time. Uh, because I think during the fight with Owen, I proved my character was actually like really heartbroken over a perceived betrayal. Mm. So I go up to Owen. I have his plus one magic so- uh, longsword. And I go up to him and quietly just free him. <laughs> I'm like, you're my only friend. And they're all assholes. I'm sorry. And he fucking bolts. He says, thank you. And he runs away. Damn. Two sessions later, um, we're at an end. And we intercept a messenger. Kill the dude. And we have this, uh, they're reading his message, you know, the whatever he's trying to deliver. And Kiva messages me and says, hey, you have a really bad feeling about that letter. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, yeah, you have a bad feeling about that letter. Like okay, cool. I'm like hey, can I read that letter? <laughs> and Eric's like, hold on. And he passes it up to the guy that's a Minmax. And I, I message Kiva real quick. I'm like, can I let that fire on? Can I let that letter on fi- Light that letter on fire? He's like, do you have this uh cantrip? I'm like, yes. He's like, okay. Roll a uh, slide of hand for me real quick. And I rolled really low. So these idiots see me light the fire, light the letter on fire. Very obviously. <laughs> so they all start getting really mad at me and start cornering me i'm like well i'm not gonna win a fight with these guys i wouldn't win a fight with any one of these people by themselves i'm the least i'm the least capable of combat out of everyone here probably out of the npcs too so i take that plus one dagger fleeting and i run that right across my throat because i'm like if they're going to catch me i'm at least not going to be able to talk So I dropped zero and uh, the the uh, elven whore <laughs> revise like stabilizes me find out later on they uh, got the information they needed out of me out of like uh, I think it was like a telepathy spell or something something that allows them to read my mind find out I betrayed them and set Owen free and he came back with an army knowing exactly where we were headed I think um, you
0: did the right thing. That and I get hanged swell. in the
1: next town by the Duke. Wow, they brought you back just to hang you. That's so yep. rude. I was one round away from dying. If it wasn't for Z stabilizing me, and he told me afterwards, like, you know, I was kind of iffy on actually stabilizing you. I was gonna let you die. Well, you should have let me die. But the degree of, like, hazing that that other dude pl- did, I rolled as a um, rogue as my re-roll and that dude refused to trust me out of character or in character because my previous character betrayed the party
0: I mean I understand why like,
1: but... maybe if you weren't being a dick I would, wouldn't have betrayed you guys he's like well you betrayed us to the NPC I'm like the NPC was nice to me
2: yeah <laughs> I mean some... it's not your other players yeah I,
0: I definitely agree with that you know like while we were saying before that it's your responsibility to want to travel with the party it's also the party's responsibility to make you want to like be around them and if they're not not
1: make you feel no it's not even like in character he was doing it he's doing it out of character too like out of character he's just being rude the entire time it's like bro i'd known you for like years we've been cool what the hell's up your what the hell's up your ass right now
0: i mean sometimes people are just like that when there's just like a weird power dynamic within the group. Like, I've seen yeah, that happen so before. It's,
1: that's it's, the last time I ever played with them.
0: I don't blame you. I don't blame you at that's all. That's
1: actually around the time that uh, I brought uh, Eric into City. Hmm. Yeah,
0: I mean,
3: <laughs> And I'm that was the
1: exact it's... reason I brought him in. I'm like, Eric, Foster's a dick. Let's jump over to my game. No one's a dick over here.
2: Except everyone.
1: <laughs> Except Jacob. The dick was already on his way out at that point. Literally disintegrated. Um, deatomized, <laughs> I think, was the word I used.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that's true. So... Can't
1: can't leave a single atom of him alive. He'll will go all uh Frieza on you. No, on all cell.
0: Majin
2: Buu. And so. Cell.
1: Cell. cell
0: needed a cell, not an atom.
1: I mean, the whole reason we deatomized him though was because we didn't want to risk leaving a cell.
0: Definitely fair when you have someone who's nigh immortal. Kill it with yeah. Fire. You
1: know? No,
0: not with Fire's fire. Not gonna Fire's not going to help. It's not good enough. Kill it with fire.
1: Fire leaves cells.
2: Kill it like the rest. <laughs> uh, and on that note, let that
1: be a lesson to you guys. Don't be a jerk to the new guys. Fair enough. There will be an NPC that won't be a jerk, and they'll betray you to that NPC.
0: Yeah, it's true. It'll happen.
1: There was, like, no hesitation on my part to do it, too. Like, the moment I saw my opportunity, I took that.
2: (laughs) Consistent.
0: (laughs) So with that, um... what happened? I
1: was in a great position. I had two magic weapons. No reason not to betray the party, except for the fact the party was being mean. And that young man right there was nice to me at one point.
0: I almost sympathize with the DM, but I feel like the DM sh- like could have done more to prevent this from happening in the first place before it got no, to this point. No, Kiva
1: wouldn't have done anything because he liked that shit. I wouldn't he say he would
0: have. I'm saying he should have.
1: Yeah, he should have. Bear in mind, this is right after it's a um, campaign where I had a dragon. Now I don't know if you're familiar with those. It's basically a half horse, half dragon. Flying. Mm-hmm. I could speak to dragons too. Don't remember why or how, but I remember having draconic. And we came across this dude named Croker who was in charge of a city. Mm-hmm. And Croker's really heavy, heavily set. We're talking like easily 600 pounds. Don't know if you know this. Dragon elves can't lift more than like 700.
0: Makes sense.
1: So Croker, in order to get favor with him, says he wants to ride on my dragon. I'm like, hey, let's go. <laughs> and someone comes up to me. He's like, what's your ride stat? And I'm like. Oh, um, it's like a plus two. It's not very good. And they're like, well, mine's like a plus 14. I'm like, okay, you want, you want to ride him? And he's like, yeah, let me do this. And he strips out of all of his armor, you know, so the Dragon out can actually take off. And goes for a ride with Croaker, and it almost crash. <laughs> and then when they get off, I go up to my Dragon Elk. I'm like, hey, buddy, you all all right? And the Dragon out says to me, you do that one more time, I'm going to eat your head off while you're still breathing.
0: Honestly,
1: I, I get I'm it. like, guess that's not good. And then, uh, later on, I tried to kill another player by knocking him off a building, but missed twice in a row. Oof, that's real unfortunate. To be really? fair, I was one of the, like three players trying to kill him at that point. Yeah, I think it was a dude that actually stripped down out of the armor and took the dude for a ride. But uh, I ended up getting my revenge on Croker. Missed like four shots, but he was like pinned to the, pinned to a wall. And I got that last shot in. He would have died from fire damage anyways, but I knocked him down to zero.
0: <laughs> oh man. Anyways, we're about That's to hit. That's a kill steal if I ever saw one. Facts. Um, we're we're about to hit uh the uh nearly the three hour mark for this stream, so I do want right. to uh, wrap it up. Uh, any closing thoughts on a uh, big bad evil guys or uh, or. Dungeon Design, or not Dungeon Design, uh, System Design, rather? Uh...
2: Nope.
1: Never overhype your big, bad, evil guy. Makes (laughs) everyone disappointed in the end, including yourself.
2: Always overhype the big, bad, evil guy.
1: Spent two years overhyping him. Went over like a wet blanket.
0: I would say that... You should moderately hype the big, bad, evil guy.
1: I hyped him from one system to the next.
2: Okay, Goldilocks.
1: It was Ocelot. <laughs> that's why you never saw him come... That's why you never saw Robert Hoare come back as a bit villain again.
2: Good. Fuck that guy.
0: I think there's definitely like a happy medium that you could hit there. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you really gotta look at your story that you're trying to tell and think about what kind of... Big bad is gonna really challenge your your players, both, you know, in the literal sense, but also in the like, you know, in the role playing sense as well. So play to your players' strengths and weaknesses and you know try to incorporate that. That's my uh closing thought.
2: Kill them all. I agree,
0: kill them all. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with that, uh again, thank you so much, uh, Dylan, for stopping by and hanging out with us tonight. Um, you know, we definitely do appreciate you coming by.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, with that, I do hope uh, that everyone out there in the, uh, in the internet has a great evening. Um, feel free to catch us again next Thursday at a, uh, possibly a later time. Uh, we'll post on Twitter if that's the case. Um, and of course, you can catch back episodes on uh, YouTube as well. Um, we're probably going to be putting together a YouTube channel just for the show. So when that happens, we'll also put out tweets um, at the various tweet handles. So yeah, with that, uh, take care, everyone. Uh, be kind to each other. And uh catch you next time.
2: Cheese bags.